I'm Jason Sylvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Marketing. When you think about the word, what comes to mind? For some, it's the romanticized world of the TV show Mad Men. For others, it's the groundbreaking work that Wyden and Kennedy have done for Nike over the years. Or maybe you're like the late great comedian Bill Hicks and you think, marketers are the spawn of Satan. And if you thought that, I don't think anyone would blame you. Go on any social media platform today and there is an endless sea of objectively horrible content that serves no purpose and helps absolutely nobody, especially the brands that put out said content. Thankfully, there are people who want to change all that, and one of those people is Stephen Burkhart. Stephen is the owner and founder of the Arizona-based Burkhart Creative Agency, an agency that provides its clients with creative services along with tactical marketing strategies, all in an effort to get their clients noticed. Stephen brings a wealth of knowledge to our conversation that covers topics such as why content marketing has a negative image, how to have your brand come off as genuine and not tone deaf, why brands should never steal from creatives, how marketers today are playing with fire, and why school, along with working in a creative hub, are still important, just not in the way you think. And it all started at a church. Enjoy. Steven, welcome. Well, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome to the, the Creative Capital Show. You get the distinction of being the, the first guest that... Uh, is not does does not have a business based in uh, Rhode Island, based in Providence. You're the you're the first uh, outside person. Oh so no way! That's thank, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing this. You're the first person like outside of Providence, outside of Rhode Island, um, that has like a business based that way. That uh, that that's doing the show. So. Uh, well, so I feel pretty cool now. <laughs> so anybody listening to the show, it's like, it's like, yep, it's out. We're, going, we're getting out of Rhode Island, everybody. <laughs> like we're, we were hitting and, the big and time. You, you almost can't go any farther. You know, I'm, I'm based in, for those listening, I'm based in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm almost as far west as you could possibly get and still be, well, I guess Hawaii. I didn't think about that. But shoot, you know, but at least for mainland, about as far away from where you've been at <laughs> for a while. So that's awesome. So thanks for coming on and for uh for the for the people who are you know either listening uh, for the first time or may, maybe by the time they listen to this they just they don't check uh, descriptions they're just like I know it's a new episode I'm gonna listen to it I don't cause I know it's gonna be good uh, who are you and and what do you what do you do well um, my name is Stephen Burkhart and primarily right now I am the owner of Burkhart Creative Agency and we are a video first. Uh, agency out in Phoenix, Arizona, like I mentioned before. And so that's really our wheelhouse. Um, And so uh, basically, I ended up already been working in video uh, in the wedding industry and began to just continue to see both the number of platforms using video grow 
and their functionality in using it grow as well, right? So then you had Instagram, but then they added, um, you know, stories and they added reels and like, like all kinds of stuff. Like even photo first platforms were continuing to expand their video. And so I was like, dude, video is going to be the future of businesses and I want to be a part of that future. And so that's where that inspiration uh, went as far as me making that transition from weddings to uh, business. And then as I was going, I was like, you know what? <laughs> like, I don't want people to take the video I made and just uh, completely ruined the distribution of it uh, because then at that point, you know, I basically, they've taken gold <laughs> and rubbed it into the dirt um, and, and, you know, has it really given them the ROI that they were hoping to get. And so we started uh, beginning to expand our services. So we're in the middle right now of at least as of August 3rd, continuing to work on our uh, Facebook blueprint certification so that we're certified in using Facebook for ads and Instagram, of course, by uh, extension and then uh, you know doing work in like Google search and getting those certifications and so we've really been branching out to try to uh, be able to take the content that we're making and really distribute that in an intelligent manner uh, so that the money that they spend on video doesn't get wasted on poor distribution so that's really what we're all about um, but yeah video first and I think it's the future of businesses so there's just even in that description that's a lot to unpack and I have a ton of questions. So um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm excited to dive in. Uh, so we may bounce around a little bit uh, if that's all right with you and anybody listening. Um, it's The show's usually never linear, but uh, anybody's <laughs> listening knows that and it's, and it, it kind of lends itself to a better telling a better story anyway. Sure. Um, so you said video, there was one thing that you pointed out in your description of what you do and you said video, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, you went to college for audio, correct? Audio production? That is correct. How did you jump from, um, just because I came from the, I came from, I'm still in the audio world. Uh, you know, what made you want to go into audio, um, at least in the very least in your college years? Uh, were you always, were you, mus- were you a musician? Were you just always interested in music? Like what, what made you go, yeah, audio production, that's the thing? Well, I, I, I guess to get there, I'd have to journey back fairly far, um, if you're okay with that. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's fine. This is this is the stuff that makes for better listening and stories, right. so hence why there I asked go. it. Right, so, okay, so it's been a pretty pretty long creative journey to get to the point where I'm doing video, um, and I suspect it will continue to evolve uh, as I get older. Uh, but really, uh, the, like, the ironic part is that, so my dad worked in banking his whole life, and... Uh, would always do like wedding photography on the side but for some reason like photography never took like I just didn't have that like natural driver to just like copy what my dad did I guess I wanted to kind of like find my own way if you will and so I never really latched on to that and um, ended up pursuing like music based stuff instead so I played piano for like 12 years uh, played like bass and guitar. Uh, actually, my first jaunt into uh, the community college world was for performance guitar. Um, and I quickly realized that I was not going to practice guitar enough to <laughs> make it into a university and succeed. And so um, I was going to keep that more of like a, a hobby level type thing. And so um, in that I began to realize um, through some like work that I was doing at church where I was doing live sound for the band, I was able to keep my toe in the music world, uh, but continue to experiment in other expressions of that creativity. So I was, you know, I wasn't playing in the band per se, but I was 
creating the sound that the band made. And so um, in just in the practice of doing that, I just realized that I really loved technical and creative when they came together. Um, you know, so I was like twisting knobs and it was like doing things to the sound, you know, I was, you know, changing EQ and stuff like that. I was shaping the sound of a guitar or a drum or a voice. And I was doing that just like adjusting numbers essentially, right. With, um, knobs. And so, uh, that was really fascinating to me. And so for me, it just like, my thought was like, Hey, let's just continue down this line of thinking. Like what other things are both technical and creative? Well, a camera for sure, right? Like you twist other knobs to change lighting and, uh, you know, color and, sh you know, shutter speeds and whatever else. And all of a sudden now you're doing a technical process to have a creative output uh, to be able to create a beautiful image or interesting image. And so uh, that was really how I ended up going down that road. So I did photography for a while. And then because of the fact that I was really dipping my toe in the wedding industry, there was just just a crap ton of photographers, like an endless supply of people with cameras who either think or are photographers. <laughs> and so um, uh, I was like, you know, I need to be able to differentiate myself a little bit. And so that's when I ended up journeying into uh, the video world as a way of being able to just provide a service that not a lot of people were offering. And um, yeah, so that's really like how I got to video to begin with. So basically my journey and the, at the, uh, the community college level ended up transitioning into audio because of the fact that that was one of my stepping stones in trying new things. And so I realized that the, you know, guitar playing wasn't going to work. And so I still wanted to be able to get a degree. I was already mixing sound at church. And so it just made sense for me to get uh, an audio production degree because at the end of the day, um, I wasn't planning on doing anything with my life that required a degree. And so I could get a degree if I wanted to, um, either for, you know, future opportunities or to boost my own ego or whatever you have it. But I wanted to be able to do something where I was actually teaching me to do what I was already doing better. Um, and as it was, uh, an audio production degree probably isn't the best choice for someone who wants to get really good at live sound. Um, but for like some of the other stuff of being able to do studio work and stuff like that, that was really exciting. And, to be honest, the whole reason I didn't get into it any further is because uh, the tedious nature of doing mix downs was uh, too much for me to emotionally bear. <laughs> so I just I couldn't sit okay. there and listen to like snare drum while I charge like every preset known to man, um, you know, to just get like the perfect snare sound as isn't as, as um, in theory, that sounds so fantastic, but in practice, it's for me completely mind numbing. Fan and, fantasy um, versus reality on that yes. one. Yes. Oh yeah, of course. Like, oh, you're mixing drums. Oh, that's so cool. It's like, no. Like, I just spent an hour EQing a kick drum. Like, yeah, I, I've heard the same cool. drum track for like the past like yes. hour and a half. <laughs> like, well, and is... and the funny thing is, is I've ran to the same problem with video. Where like I don't like video editing for the same reason. Like I don't like tedious. Oh, okay. And so what I've done, I've just hired out. Um, like the video editing because I have like an incredible girl on my team Rylan that she uh, handles like almost all the video editing that we do and that's been incredible because she loves it so she actually enjoys it and I don't enjoy it at all and so I really enjoy giving it for her to do <laughs> and so gotcha. so everybody's winning so it's kind of funny because I guess I probably could have done that with audio production as well but who's to say that dream is dead because you know I still got a lot of years left so what can I say <laughs> There's, you know what um there are a couple of things I want to touch on uh, from there. One, um, since we're on the subject of school, uh, and anybody who's heard a previous episode, um, I've brought this up. 
uh, and I definitely want to get your opinion on it. Uh, just with the amount of information we're exposed to now, because of all these platforms and because of a lot of people just you know putting out information for free, etc. Mm. There has been a conversation just in general about you know paying for school, you know, in the sense of like college or university. And are you really getting the return on investment? And I think that conversation gets um, a little, uh, even a little bit crazier when you start thinking of schools that are like specifically art schools or mm. schools that deal with more, uh, you know, creative based degrees rather than um, things that are a little bit more straightforward like business. Sure. Uh, do you, What is your opinion on that as far as like schools offering uh, degrees that are, um, you know, or programs that are in more of the creative, are they worth it? And are they teaching, uh, the right things? Cause I had a conversation uh, previously on this podcast about how, um, uh, I don't know how much you know about Rhode Island or Providence in general, but we have RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, considered one of the best art schools in the world, mm. yet people that I've talked to have gone there, I'll ask them like, oh, do they teach you like, how if you're an artist how to land an agent or like how to mm. you know like go about if you're an artist like are you a contract like how do you get paid like just more of the logistical stuff and they're like no it's all like theory. actually paying a mortgage with your degree <laughs> yeah ex- like that kind of thing so what is your opinion on because you went to school for something that was um a little bit more creative based uh what is right. your opinion on it? because now that you're like running an agency and and making a living off of creative stuff that you do and you're paying other people. So you've seen both sides of it. So what is your opinion on that? Wow. Um, Where to even begin? Um, That could probably be a separate episode. (laughs) It really could. Like, there's there's so much to unpack. And I think at the end of the day, it just comes back to this one thing. And is it, do you know what you want? And so... And do you know yourself? Like, do you know, like, how you learn? And do you know what you want, right? And so at the end of the day, I made choices that had pretty big implications when it came to my degree, right? Like, for example, like, if I were to go get a normal job now, it would be much more difficult because I have no degree, right? So what I essentially said is I am choosing not to have a backup plan. Now... Uh, I have friends who with, you know, based on maybe the personality or the way they were, especially the way they were raised, they don't live life that way, right? Like their interest in like security is astronomically higher than mine. Um, Like I'm willing to eat beans and rice if I have to. I'm willing to go that low, if that makes sense. Uh, And not necessarily in a hunger to succeed way, but like if like it ends up falling out that way, I'm fine with it. Um, and I can always build back up because we live in America. There's plenty of opportunities. Like, it's not the end of the world. Um, and so, uh, geez, I'm kind of going around this. Um, so I think it's just it's such an individual decision, I just think, is what it boils down to. And so in the creative space and I think in schooling in general, um, I think the very thing that people often turn up their nose for is about is one of the things that's highly advantageous about school, which is the networking, right? So people always turn up their nose about like private schools and like the snooty kids and stuff like that. Like newsflash, like those snooty kids, like their parents own companies that hire you. 
networking is super important. And so if you're able to get yourself into a school where like the right people are there, then your success in your industry is probably going to be like substantially better because of the fact that you actually know people who can hire you. And so that was even in the audio production side, at least in Arizona, um, the name of the the school escapes me right now, but it's like a nationally known audio production school that they have a location here in Arizona, and it was either that or GCU. Well, in retrospect, the other one would have probably been better to go to than GCU because even though the quality of the program was probably very similar, I would have met very different people. And so, you know, people from all over the country go to this school to learn audio production, and I wish I could remember the name because... It would make for a way better story. <laughs> but those people then go all over the place in L.A. and, you know, Seattle and, you know, Nashville. And you could potentially know people all around the country to go get hired at studios. And so um, I think that's a decision you have to make is like how important is networking to getting the job that I eventually want to get? And if you're not going to go to a school that's going to give you that networking opportunity, then you are kind of wasting your time, assuming that, you know, the education part is crucial. Um, and so like a GCU, I got like a good education, but I wouldn't say like I networked, which is partly, partially like my personality. <laughs> like I just don't go around meeting new people all the time cause I'm fairly introverted. Um, but also just like, it's not like the hub, you know what I mean? Like if you want to make a music, you go to Nashville because it's the hub, you know what I mean? Uh, and I also, at, at the end of the day too, like for me, I was more interested in having my own business than getting hired out by someone else. And so the validation that a degree brings wouldn't have been as advantageous to me because at the end of the day, I didn't really have to impress anyone with the degree. I had to impress people with my quality of work, which is actually harder. Um, And so I I think that's part of it is who do you need to impress? If you need to impress someone to hire you, probably would consider getting a degree. If not, and you're just probably, it'd probably be best to just like spend some time in the wood shop, making sure that your craft is like top notch. Um, and then I think my final thought on that is, um, uh, what was my final thought on that? Uh, I don't know. It might come to me, but yeah. So I guess it's just, it's just a highly personal thing. Oh, I guess. Oh yeah. There's like the difficulty, right? Like, like I feel like doing it on your own is, is just like way harder. Um, and I kind of chose that path on purpose. Um, and so it kind of just depends on like how much crap you want to eat on your way up. And so I feel like having a degree would probably help with a lot of those things. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I enjoy getting paid to learn. So like I do work for people. It's it's excellent work, but I'm getting paid. And then I'm learning as I go, right? Uh, you know, when school, you're paying someone to learn. And so I much, I much prefer to be paid to learn. <laughs> so that's just me. Um, and so I think, yeah, so I think it's just highly personal decision. You know, do you need to get hired by someone else? Or do you plan on working by yourself? Um, you know, are you going to need that validation and are you going to meet the right people? Um, and how hard do you want to work and, and how, how well are you at self learning? Like I'm great at teaching myself things. Like I can spend hours on YouTube learning things. It's literally how I know to do everything I know how to do. (laughs) Like I didn't go to school for video. Um, I watched a lot of YouTube videos and practiced and failed and learned. And so if you're not going to sit down and teach yourself stuff, then, uh, you should probably have someone teach you because if you just realize that that's not like a level of discipline you have, like that's kind of a self-awareness thing or like if you're not going to have the discipline to teach yourself, you should probably like have someone else force you um, to learn. That last part actually 
that discipline of like, Hey, the information's out there, but you need to have the discipline to like mm-hmm. go out there and find it and teach yourself. Cause I want to, point out that and then your comment about like hey if you want to make it in music go to Nashville networking etc do you think that has changed in the sense of now especially like we're living in a post you know not post COVID that it's gone away but where like COVID has happened so I feel like there's like the world before this happened and like the world after this has happened mm-hmm. and because this has happened a lot of people are working remotely things of that nature but even before that with like all these platforms and the internet and everybody being connected, do you still think that you have to go to these hubs like that? It's a necessity um, or have the barriers of entry uh, depending on the industry you work and have gone down in such a way where it's like you can now make the hub wherever you're at. If you have the, um, and I'm guessing maybe if you have the discipline to be willing to be online to like share content and network. I know in person versus online is two different things. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you think about that? Like if somebody has the discipline, can they do they have to go to the hub or it's like, Oh no, like you don't have to go to New York to be a fashion brand anymore. Like you don't have to go to Nashville to like necessarily get a recording, like put, put out there into the world. Like what, what are your thoughts and opinions on that? As far as um, are hubs as important now as they were before? Right. Well, I, I'm not ex- an expert in this in this particular uh, area, and so I can't say with like any real conviction of my own. But I can speak to what I've heard. So, or, or at least some mixture of my own convictions on it, and then things I've heard. Right. So, like I just got done um, probably four weeks ago uh, talking to a girl, and um, it's a girl guide duo who's a, a musician. Um, and they live in Arizona and they ended up moving out to LA, um, to meet people. And so they ended up, um, putting out a sizable chunk of money to like buy some time with a producer and essentially, you know, purchase him and all his relationships that he has in that specific area and, um, was able to put together like some pretty great video work for like music video and, um, production for their, their tracks. And so um, for them, uh, moving out to L.A. was a really big deal uh, to be able to be around those people. And so, uh, you know, for, so for them, it was really important and um, it's been really good for them. Uh, I know plenty of people who obviously don't have that. And I think it goes back to like whether or not you're doing your own thing, you're doing your thing with someone else. I mean, like, do you need to meet and rub shoulders with someone in the industry? Uh, because you're looking for their help, well, then I'd probably be where they're at. You know what I mean? Um, uh, if you don't, you know, like for your fashion brand thing, like if you're looking to get hired by Vogue, I would probably hang out with some Vogue people uh, and go to their events and like meet, you know, the marketing people and the, the designers and like eventually get your name out there. Because, uh, you know, these these places are, you know, I would assume, hosting some sort of events um, where you have the opportunity to meet people. Um, but if you're doing your own fashion thing, do you need to be in New York? Uh, absolutely not because your model's direct to consumer. Like, so what good is it to go to New York other than maybe just like shaking a lot of people's hands or something? Um, which (laughs) I could, I was in New York, so people are shaking hands. Um, people aren't acting like everyone's like a walking death or anything. I don't know. It's a mixed bag because for me, like, I guess on like, cause I was talking about like tactically and then like conviction wise, conviction wise for me, it's like, it's always about like trying my best not to make excuses. So for me, it's like, okay, you have the internet, 
you can literally contact like almost anyone between Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And so if you're trying to use the excuse of like, I'm not meeting the right people because I'm not in the right place, like you're kind of lying to yourself because you can meet them. Like you literally can. You can go on Twitter and send them a message. They may not respond, but they also could blow you off at a burger shop. So like, what's the difference? Um, And then, um, and that's not to say that you can't have more opportunity by being at the right places either. Right. And so I feel like either way, if you're like, you're trying to make an excuse like, oh, if I was, if I was only there, I'd be successful. Like that's probably not true. And there's probably plenty of people who've been plenty successful not being there. Um, but is there an advantage to being there? I think absolutely. And I mean, like, uh, there was a creative agency owner that I was talking to a long time ago, much, much, much bigger than mine, uh, but has also been around for like forever here in Arizona. And they ended up developing a relationship with some of the uh, marketing directors for a casino that's out here. And like, they just literally went to every single like event and like, whatever that casino was like sponsoring or doing or at, they were at there shaking their hands, meeting them, saying hello, building relationships. And I think that's something that really can't be done online per se, or at least to the same level. I mean, you, you know, I'm sure you've met people where in person, like it's just a totally different vibe. And I think you're, if you're missing the energy, you're always missing something. And so be able to have the opportunity to meet people in person, I think is always, is always going to be better. But that doesn't mean the alternative doesn't work. What does a creative agency actually do in general? Um, Because I I feel like there could be so many different definitions to that. So in your definition, what what does a creative agency actually do? I guess the simple answer is it it varies widely, right? Um, Because, you know, copywriting is no less or more creative than video work, which is no different than photography, which is no different than you know, anything else. And so I think a lot of it is, it just depends on uh, what the owner does and what they've hired out other people to do is basically what it boils down to. Because one one thing in like the creative world that um, people can get in trouble for and kind of can cause some eye rolling sometimes is when like an agency says they're full service. And um, a lot of agencies that say they're full service aren't. Um, but it sounds cooler to say it. Can you really and describe so, full service, what it is, so for, what it should be, I guess? Right. So full service would be like um, anything that marketing could possibly be. So like, for example, like okay. when I think of marketing, I'm thinking of almost entirely digital marketing. Um, whereas like billboards, bus stops, newspaper ads, um, uh, magazines, articles, um, radio spots, TV spots, um, all of those are like marketing that technically a full service would be able to do. Um, I have no intention of putting anything on a billboard, so I cannot consider myself full service because I'm not really doing anything in the print space. Um, and so I'd say like largely uh, when you're talking about a marketing agency, you're talking about a digital marketing agency unless they specify otherwise, um, which means they're usually just making content for online purposes. So that's what a creative agency does, right? And you were mentioning marketing. And I want to ask you a question about the, you know, just the idea of marketing, especially like in popular culture, because I think that is something that's really interesting. Because on the one hand, um, you know, I've seen documentaries like Art and Copy. You have shows like Mad Men, which Mm. kind of like romanticized marketing and like how the content for marketing gets created, right? And... You know, there's been some marketing campaigns like 
uh, one agency comes to mind, like Wyden and Kennedy, uh, which is the agency for Nike. And they created like legendary campaigns, right? Like the Just Do It or like when Coca-Cola had like to buy the World Coke. So they're like campaigns that have like an image in your mind or nostalgia or, or evoke like very positive, um, you know, uh, connotations to marketing and content for marketing. Sure. And then, uh, but then also at the same time, when I think of marketing, I think of um, uh, legendary comedian Bill Hicks. Where he has like this five minute bit about how like marketers and marketing people are like the worst people, like scum of the earth. Uh, and I, I thought that and, was and, salesman. Yeah, 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 throw both of them in there, I guess. But like, yeah. but it, in and it's weird because in my mind and like being uh, somebody who's in the creative world, who's also been in the business world, who's talked to creators, who's talked to entrepreneurs, I think both sides of that argument are right. Mm-hmm. Um, for various reasons. Uh, so what is your opinion on that? Because it seems like like the idea of marketing, it's such a polarizing thing. Like it, it brings about very strong emotions in, in, in people that can vary wildly from like, oh yeah, like I'm like, you know, like when done right, it's, it's like uh, if marketing is done right, it brings about like something positive. But then if you mention the idea of marketers or marketing, like it, people are turned off. So why do you think that is like that? It's such like a polarizing thing almost. Well, I got So I got to double back and ask you a question because I'm, I'm a little curious. So I haven't heard maybe just because nobody tells it to my face, but I haven't heard like that many negative things about marketing other than um, a, a very uh, popular quote by Gary Vaynerchuk where he says marketers ruin everything. <laughs> So outside of that, I'm, I'm kind of curious on what kind of things that you're hearing so I can at least maybe get a little better idea oh, what to comment on. All right, on. so I, I guess like kind of like the Bill Hicks quote I just said, but like just this mm. idea of like marketers are like they like almost put into this like not – I don't want to say uh, – how should I put this? I'm that marketing is almost like like not like this honest business or like hey they're mm. trying to manipulate people or um, yeah. hey like, like, like it's a lack of authenticity or like – you know, uh, when marketing is done badly or it comes off very tone deaf for a company, they're mm, like, oh, yeah. like, like that's marketers when they try to do something creative. Like, um, I don't know, like the pep, like the Pepsi ad that was tone deaf with, I think, uh, Ky- was it Kylie Jenner? Um, oh, yeah. And there were mm-hmm. people commenting like, oh, like this is what happens when you, like, you, know, you let marketers take over the creative story. So it's like, oh, like this, like, like, like Gary Vaynerchuk said, this idea that marketers ruin the creative, but yet sometimes right. those marketers are also making the creative, or at the same yes. time, they're making amazing creative, like the Just Do It campaign, um, like these, like, you know, cer- certain ads that are just, like, ingrained in pop culture. Sure. So, but, so it's two very opposite ends of the spectrum as far as, like, how it's perceived, and, and uh, sure. again, going back to the Mad Men thing. So I'm just wondering why that, why that is, and why you get somebody like a Gary Vaynerchuk Who's in the industry? Who's like, hey, marketers ruin everything. <laughs> but then you have you have agencies like Wyden and Kennedy who make like amazing stuff yeah. that you don't even realize it's marketing. At, you know, it, um, or even somebody like who does it very naturally, like a Ryan Reynolds. Where I've seen people go like, I'll skip every commercial there is, but if it's Ryan Reynolds like doing something because it's so creative and hilarious, I'll that let is it play. Absolutely um, true. You, you <laughs> know what I mean? A genius. Yeah, so it's, it's so it's like how like why is it so polarizing and like what what determines that or is, have have marketers and the idea of marketing just gotten a bad rap in recent years like what what and being somebody who runs an agency what do you think of that? Right. Well, so there's a couple things about that. So the f- the first thing is I think we need to um, understand 
that marketers are in a really uncomfortable place right now um, because of the fact that the world is very polarized, right? Like you can say something and like you are completely obliterated online, right? They call that cancel culture, right? Where like you say one thing and it can be completely taken out of context, right? And then your business is over, like for something that wasn't even um, in, intended, right? It's just because it's just like a, kind of like a mass execution like they did in like the freaking Middle Ages, right? And so um, it, it's tough because if you have a brand that stands for something specifically, especially if it's any sort of in the realm of like the political or social space that we're in right now, um, you are you're, you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. And so um, I feel like, especially if you're working for a company where that's like your job, um, you're kind of being asked to play with fire for a living. And that's kind of an uncomfortable place to be because of the, the, the variety of opinions uh, that present themselves, right? And so um, I think they're in a rough spot to win, right? It's just not so clear cut anymore on like what the right thing to say is. Um, and that really leads me into part two, which is businesses in general have kind of gone down this road that they feel like they have to stand for something socially to matter. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily totally against that. Like, I think that makes sense. You know, and all of these agent, you know, these big businesses like like Starbucks, I know the CEO is pretty outspoken um, on, on his uh, personal beliefs. Um, and, and some of these other things, like all of these businesses are ran by people who have opinions and cares, concerns and convictions, and all of those things are valid and, and allowed to be expressed. Um, but I think that presents a really challenging position for businesses to be on. Like as soon as you've moved from, you know, this is what our product's about and this is who we're serving and this is how it makes your life better. Now we're starting to stand on social issues, which is like pretty hot water to be in for a business. Especially uh, less, if um, somebody in that business, whether high or low up, not to interrupt, can yeah. go online and say something in mass that may or may not even represent the views of that business. But because they work for that business or represent in a certain way, now the business has to take on whatever that person or people said or did. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so it's just it's just really hard. You know what I mean? And, and for me, I think business is going down the road of like standing for something something socially, especially like a hot and button issue. It's just not smart. And then you know that puts everyone involved in that business in a really awkward spot. I feel, um, you know, and it, it's not like you know, and and some of these social issues are things like especially like with the way Coke did it was kind of like, like you said, kind of like a little bit tone deaf. But it's like. You know, you have like a company like Tom's who stands for something too, but it's like something like literally everyone can get behind. Like they're giving shoes to freaking kids in Africa. Like who is going to get upset about that? You know do, what I mean? Do you think it's maybe important that for whatever issue a company stands behind that it makes sense with like the DNA and the heritage and the brand of that company? Because I feel like sometimes even when a comp like a company can jump on a social issue. But it, like a lot of people will see through it and be like, oh, no, you're only supporting this because it's a money grab. 
not oh totally like you weren't like like where were you you know like when the, like you know where were you doing the work or are you just you're just jumping on the bandwagon because hey there's some money to be made here i mean that's literally like almost every meme i saw during pride month was just that which is like oh hey gay people exist like let's celebrate them really quick oh sorry on back to normal business and it was just like the whole thing wasn't like like it wasn't admirable anymore to be a part of that, it was like, oh, you're like you're just doing this because this is a marketing move during Pride Month, and 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 people, like you said, people saw right through that. They're like, oh, like you're just doing that because that's just like the popular thing to talk about right now, so that you look like you care about something. And you may, you may, or you may not. But I think for most people, they're like, yeah, I'm not really sure this is genuine, and I'm not really sure that um, I should take this seriously, like all of these campaigns. Uh, so I, yeah, it's a problem. It's it, it, it goes back to the authenticity. I would say that, to your point, most brands don't have that in their DNA. <laughs> they just pretend that they do. What is your definition of, of content? Because I think, like, especially now with all these different platforms, somebody just tweeting out a couple words is, you know, or po- posting a meme is technically content. So how would yeah. you define content? I mean, I would really define content as literally anything people see. Because, um, you know, whether it's a photo, video, words, you know, text, I mean, because, you know, otherwise, you know, if if text isn't content, then like Twitter doesn't exist as a content site. Um, And so I I literally think it's like anything that people can interact with, which means that like, like a, a post in a newspaper is content, a magazine's content, like it all is all content. And I know that. You know, I guess the word's been a little watered down, but yeah, I, you know, it, it's just anything that people see to me is content. And what is your perception on, I guess, the idea of is there such thing as I'm, I'm going to use a Gary Vaynerchuk quote, and I'm probably gonna, I'm probably just going <laughs> to paraphrase it. Go for uh, it. But how he was saying that, like, he's uh, he's about, or he's he has said before that quantity over quality because quality is subjective. Mm. So do you necessarily agree with that? That hey the quality is 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 subjective because depends on like you know who's viewing it and things like that. Um, so is is quantity the name of the game here? Boy, that's tough. It totally is subjective. Absolutely, qual- uh, quality is. Um, in fact, it was funny. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. I want to say it was a podcast I was listening to with the guy who wrote "Steal Like an Artist," which I can't remember his name. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was his story where he was talking about like he was writing like these little like blurbs that he was putting out like online and this was like forever ago so people were actually probably seeing it um and so like he would put out these blurbs and it was always it would always blow his mind like which one of the things he said would actually resonate with people and like really take off and get a lot of comments and stuff like that Uh, and this is way before instagram so I, I'm not sure which platform he was on, but uh, it was just interesting for him and his observations of of content and how people respond to it. Is it's almost never what you think it's going to be. Like you can't just make a hit or go viral or whatever else. Like you know, it's up to the audience to decide what's good and bad, and you often won't be able to guess <laughs> what that is. And so the idea is that you continue to put out content because of the fact that you don't know. So like because of the fact you can't just sit down and say like Jason's like I'm gonna make viral content today like you know what I mean like you can't do that and so you, you can make content you think could go viral 
viral and is positioned to go viral. But or you, it doesn't you can document that, everything you do, but you don't know what's going to hit and what's not going to hit. Exactly. And it, it could be timing. It could be who saw it. It could be who shared it. Like, um, you know, all it takes is like you to be found by one influencer to share it and then like triple your views on something. Uh, but there's no way to predict that. And so that's why you keep putting out uh, content. And that's where kind of like the quantity comes into f- to play, where it's like if you're in a noisy world, then you have to be noisier. And so part of that is going to be a quality thing where like you're you know trying to rise above the noise of of what is, you know, maybe mediocre content. And uh, on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, if you don't show often enough, that's going to be challenging, too, because like I've heard things of like. Um, cause like they measure, um, like sales conversions by like touch points. So like how many times like a, a customer's like senior content or interacted in some I way. I was just about to ask the, the question of like yeah. with all, with everything you're saying, how do you even, how do you even quantify like you as an agency? Like how does that, how does the business quantify or how does anybody quantify like, Hey, I either made this piece of content or I hired somebody to make content for me. How do you quantify whether it's successful or not? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. and like how, how do you even track it? Like, like Isn't that a million-dollar question? Yeah, you know, like, uh, do, do the metrics even matter or make sense depending on context? Sure. Well, yeah, so, so yeah, so just, like, for to kind of wrap up my first thought, like, the idea is that, like, at, at first it used to be, like, only a couple touch points would get people to, like, actually move from, like, not knowing who you are to, to spending money or, or hiring you. Um, I want to say, like, on average, it was like anywhere from like six to eleven, which is an astounding number when you think about it. Um, but I've heard numbers as high as thirty. Um, now, if you're thinking about that, that means if you're posting content every single day, someone would have to see your content every single day for an entire month, and ain't nobody seeing every piece of content you put out, right? Like algorithms literally won't allow that to happen, and so it's like, dude, the amount of content you got to put out to have thirty touch points is just stupid and now it makes sense why someone was like oh yeah you need to put out three pieces of content a day which is just like so overwhelming for most people especially like a small business owner like how in the world are you going to make that much content a day or or, you know a month and uh so it's a it's a tough balance because i would also say that like having a quantity but no quality is is going to kill you because it, at the end of the day, like what happens? Like something catches your attention, and then you have to decide if it's worth your time. So if it's caught your attention, that's awesome. But if that's as far as it ever goes, then like what? What have you gained? Like you gained someone's attention, but now you've immediately lost it because there was no quality there. So like you know, so it's like it's like a balancing act, I think, of like quality versus quantity, and like can you make a quantity of something? And not compromise too much on the quality because you want to obviously retain the people who find you. And you're not going to retain them if your content's garbage. Anyways, that, that's that thought. So um, as far as measuring, you know, that's that really is like a million dollar question because there's so many things that go into whether or not, you know, quote unquote, something did well. Um, because it could have been that the creative wasn't good, it could have been that the distribution wasn't good, it could have been that it wasn't on the right platforms, it doesn't post at the right time, it didn't say the right copy, like it was promoted to the wrong audience. Like there's like a million reasons why something could do well or not do well. And so it is challenging. And that's why I think for most marketers and you know one of the things that we wanna 
pursue as well is just making sure that we're doing like sufficient testing on stuff. Um, and sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's um, not difficult. Like for example, the pull from like Gary Vaynerchuk, he has like a separate account that they post content to and only the content that does well on that account gets sent to his main account. Now that seems completely ridiculous, but it's what they do and apparently it's working and it's how they test things. And so um, maybe not everyone has that convenience and a team of people <laughs> that can make content for them. Uh, but it just kind of, you can at least pull inspiration for the, the heart of what they're trying to do, which is let's test something and see how well it's doing and then be able to learn from that and be able to create better content. And then, you know, social media and, you know, digital marketing in general, just marketing in general is a long-term game. Like, it's not like people didn't have the same problem when they made billboards, Right. You know, it's like, oh, could the billboard have done better? Well, how do you know? Like, yeah, you don't like, know until you make you another even, one. Yeah, how, how, how do you gauge it? How do you track it? Like, what do you use to, to even come to that conclusion? It, exactly. So the, the difference is now digital marketing, you do have a way of tracking people's progress through a system. Right? They call that, like, omni-channel marketing, where, like, you're able to, like, track people's touch points through multiple mediums. Uh, you know, that's why there's Facebook pixels to be able to, like, measure traffic that goes from Facebook to a website and what happens on the website. That's why there's, you know, Google Analytics uh, with the code that you put in your website so you can kind of see where people are going around and where they're coming in, where they're exiting, how long time, how much, you know, time are they spending there. And so, there, thankfully, uh, on that end, there's much more ways to measure traffic on um, the digital end. And so, for example, to kind of like long answer, long ask, answer your question, like let's say, for example, you're running an ad on Facebook. Well, you can measure how many people like it. You can you know, measure engagement and um, reach um, as, as one thing, like well, the, multiple things, but you know, kind of step one, then it's like, okay, well, maybe let's say that Facebook ad sends them to a sales page. Well, then how many people are going from this Facebook page to the sales page? And then, you know, what's the percentage of people on the sales page that actually click the button? And how many people from click the button actually respond to an email? You know what I mean? There's like all these multiple touch points uh, that you can be then evaluate and begin to adjust um, how well they're doing. So maybe you have a Facebook ad, but it sends them to 10 different landing pages. And that way, uh, each one of those landing pages can be tested for something different, whether it's like creative, the order of the creative, um, how much copies in it, uh, stuff like that, and just begin to like over time develop it. And that's really um, when it comes to like budgets for advertising specifically, that's one of the main things that people talk about is like the higher the budget for the advertising, the quicker you learn because then the algorithms are able to churn through more results to be able to continue to optimize for the right kinds of people. And if you have a lower budget, it just takes longer. Because if you're attracting like the attention of like a thousand people a day, then the, fa the algorithm learns based on that thousand. If you're attracting 10,000 a day, because you're spending more per day, then the algorithm's learning even faster and you'd be able to get to a point where what you're doing is working better quickly. And that's and that's even if like a business is tracking anything in the first place. Oh yeah, because I, I worked for a you know multi million dollar company that I was a new person in email marketing, and mm. they were like, oh like we're gonna do this push towards mobile and mobile emails, mobile this, and apparently that's why I was hired, which I didn't realize. And then they had this big conf like they had this big like presentation and conference with all the people like in our division and then uh you know all these all these suits basically is the best way i could say it, much you know um 
at least in, a, in the appearance, much older and smarter than I was. And I raised my hand right. during this big presentation. I said, uh, hey, what, you know, talk about all these metrics. Are we tracking uh, what's like the mobile open rate on our emails? Just like how many people do we have uh, that are opening on a mobile device? Like where's, where's that information? I just didn't see in the presentation. All of a sudden, my director calls me into his office. And I was like, oh, this is how I get fired. Um, and he <laughs> reveals to me. I thought I screwed up. I just asked the question. He realized me, oh, we've never tracked that. And to, oh my which my, to which my jaw dropped. And then he's like, here's a budget. Go figure that out. So that's like even that's like all that is assuming that that business is even tracking certain things in the first place. Oh, true. That, that's <laughs> super funny. <laughs> which, which like it's like if a business is not even tracking that, then it's like, OK, now we're really starting from from like an even other different base level, uh, which makes even like how do you quantify even more confusing? Um well, I mean, that, just to jump in, like that's yeah, why yeah. people hire a creative agency. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. they they have people who can actually. I mean, because let's let's be honest, like part of it is experience, right? Like obviously, like we'd be way more experienced than like your average business owner in being able to identify, like and quantify the information into like good or bad or what can be improved, what's fine, and just um, making content in general. Yeah, but then, yes, of course. But, yeah, certainly evaluating, too, like, the metrics of it. But then also, it's, like, just having the time to do it. Like, business owners are running a freaking business. Or, you know, or a marketing uh, director is running a team of people doing things. Like, they don't necessarily, like, if they're hiring out an agency to supplement their team, like, they don't necessarily have time to do all those things on their own. That's why they're hiring you. And so (laughs) that's one of the advantages to having a creative agency is to be able to have someone who can actually, like, look at the metrics that you're getting back from the content and be able to make, like, educated decisions on what needs to be changed to improve all of that. Because the idea of, like, the whole idea of marketing is to basically spend as little amount of money to make as much money as possible. So, like, anything that you can optimize to do that better is very welcome and very, (laughs) makes people really happy. Because if you can make $5 to make $1,000, or you can spend a dollar to make $1,000, you know, what do you think people are going to choose? So... Attention and retention, two very important aspects when it comes to content and business. You can have the best product, service, artwork, etc. in the world, but if you can't get anyone's attention, then no one will know you exist. At the same time, just getting someone's attention is one thing. Having a compelling reason for them to engage with your work and come back for more is another. And if you don't have that compelling reason, well then, You just wasted their time. What gets people's attention? What keeps them as a customer? Well, that's different for everyone, but you won't know until you try and see what works. Again, because we've already referenced him a couple times, uh, another Gary Vaynerchuk quote. Because you're saying, like, in the future, or, or, like, I guess now, every company needs to be, like, also, like, a media production house. So do you mm. think every company, big and small, just needs to be making content constantly? No. I really okay. don't. Um, and that's because, at the end of the day, well, just, like, I don't know. So here, here's my two cents, is that social media is called social media, right? 
it's a relationship building platform. And that kind of goes back to like, you know, the question you asked earlier, which I'm not sure if I really answered well, but uh, that's why marketers ruin a lot of things is because they essentially abuse these platforms, right? They abuse a platform where now it's not social media. It's just, uh, it's, it's a digital billboard. It's a, right? it's, a mega, so have, it's a mega horn. They're just talking one way. A hundred percent. And so, you know, I've messaged companies, it's like not big companies, like we're talking about like mom and pop shop companies that have not responded to Instagram DMs that I've sent them. Not pitches, just simple questions for like things that they have posted, right? And I've not gotten responses. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you're not Nike. Like, calm down. Respond to my message, you know? And even Nike's going to have a community builder, you know, uh, <laughs> hired. So anyways, uh, so, you know, so it's called social media. And the idea is that it's social, that you're connecting with people, that you're building relationships. And that can happen online and it can happen in person. And so I think... Um, the greatest example of that is um, there is a, a marketer at a company that I'm pretty familiar with, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, I, I don't feel comfortable dropping their name, but um, they work with uh, school districts um, with like their their food programs, and so they literally do like these conferences, like in person conferences, which obviously <laughs> the last couple of years has not gone uh, well. Uh, haven't they haven't even done them. Um, but they were doing in-person conferences and um, making just hands over fist money because they were building relationships with the right kind of people. And there wasn't many of those kinds of people like there are there's like one person in charge of food for a district. You know what I mean? Um, and like even from like a state level that they were doing, you know, so if they were if they were working with a state level person that has has to do with a food program in their school system, that means there's 50 like what one people to build a relationship with, you don't need to make a Facebook ad for that. You don't need to post all kinds of content. You don't need to have optimized blogs. You don't even have to have the sexiest website. It's back you know to what, what you mean? said about like going to going to meet people and interact with people. And exactly. Doing that kind of thing. And that can totally happen digitally, right? But you just had to be, you know, I guess this is part of the awareness of like knowing whether or not, I, I, let me back up. The thing I struggle with is that there are some people who I think would benefit greatly from having them, but they're too scared to have those like those digital platforms build business for them. And they say they don't work because they've never actually tried or they're just scared of trying them. Right. So there's plenty of businesses that are in that boat where like they've been relationship based and they don't know how to scale that relationship online. And so they just say it doesn't work. And then there's other businesses who I think legitimately can't do any better by doing that because their clientele is so small or so niche or so relationship driven that it's not going to do them any good. Um, and so, yeah, so for no, absolutely not, like not all businesses need to have this like raging digital presence um, because, you know, if your business isn't B2C or, you know, or widely B2B, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know what good is going to do you. It, with that being said, too, what is your opinion on, because um, I feel like sometimes people feel the need to like, I need to have content on every platform and not every mm. piece of content translates to every platform because certain sure. platforms are geared towards images, certain towards videos, some towards text, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, does a business, if they do want to have like a, a digital presence when it comes to content, do they need to be on every platform or... Does do they just need to be on the platforms that play to their strengths? Like, ha, like, even if they hire an agency, the you know if the agency specializes in certain things and it's not so great at other things, it's like how do you like? What is the process 
or how should the process be of determining like what platforms a, a business or an agency should have a presence on? So I go really back and forth on this quite a bit. Um, so hence my hesitation on answering. Um, so I, I hate to go against uh, the, I think it goes back to what are you selling and who is it for? Uh, and understanding that pretty well. Um, like if everyone can benefit from what you're doing, obviously being everywhere is going to be awesome. Um, like if you're trying to sell a book, like being everywhere is going to be pretty awesome. Uh, because you have no idea. Like I have my preferences on social media. Like I love Instagram. I love spending time on it. Like I know. And the thing I struggle with is like, I don't think that's probably the best place for me to be spending my time making headway. Uh, when it comes to my business, like I think my headway needs to be actually spent on LinkedIn. However, I get no personal joy out of being on LinkedIn. So as a consumer, uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So if a business was trying to sell to me on LinkedIn, they would literally never get a hold of me um, because I'm just not spending much time there. Like if they ran an ad, I would never see it because I'm never on there checking my feed. Um, and so I think that. Um, being in multiple places can be really advantageous because the reality is, is people don't use all social media platforms equally. Like they have favorites. There are people who freaking love Twitter, like, like cake, you know what I mean? Like, and that's all they spend their time on. And so if you're not on Twitter, like you're never going to reach them. And so I, you know, but to my point back at the, the company that worked at the food service program, like the reality is, is no social, no social media platform was going to be this right solution for them because their person like, may be on there, but like the amount of effort they went to go reach them, it'd be much simpler to just pick up the phone and give them a call. <laughs> like, um, and so I just, I, yeah, I just think you really got to understand like who it is you're trying to reach and how, like, how big that potential audience really is. So, so be um, thoughtful about it. Be thoughtful yeah. about what you're going to go into. Yeah. Like I said, like for me, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work with businesses, you know, I'm trying to work with marketing directors of companies. Like it, it just makes more sense for me to spending me to spend more time on LinkedIn than Instagram. It just does. And it's not like they're not on Instagram. It's just right. like, there's even just like the whole mindset thing. That's like, like I remember a couple years ago, it was like, the, um, the mindset people are in when they're on Pinterest is much more likely to buy than on other social media platforms. I'm not sure that's still as true today as it was when I heard that. Um, but that plays a factor. Then all of a sudden, like people who are trying to sell direct to consumer, like if you're selling a dress or, you know, or whatever, um, you're going to want to probably be on Pinterest more because you know that there's a lot of women who are looking for clothing ideas and they're more in a sales mindset than anywhere else. So you'd be crazy not to be on Pinterest. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, but that's not necessarily the only place you can succeed in. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. What, what you said was exactly right. Like just being thoughtful about it and, and just being honest with like the resources you have. Like if you're a company and you're, you've got a you know $5 million budget for, marketing well then yeah you can literally afford to be everywhere and afford to be a little wrong too if you're a small business owner and maybe you're making all the content then you should probably spend a little bit of time just being thoughtful about like where your audience really really is uh separated from your preference and um, then spend the time there instead because that may be all the time and resources that you can devote to being uh online do you think that 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 thoughtfulness comes into play 
in the sense of this question of it seems like there's no there's no shortage of a need for content with the amount of platforms that come out right and mm-hmm. and things of that nature and even from like a small to large scale like you know Netflix and all these different streaming platforms are buying shows from creators like I'm, oh, yeah. you know from like the larger scale perspective right so there's no shortage, there's no shortage of a need for content and there's no shortage of content yet from the consumer perspective um, just talking to like friends and and just people in general, it's almost like people are exhausted by how much there is. Hmm. And so, do you think that there's like a, a like a like a real story kind of somewhere in the middle where it's like, yes, I want more, but at the same time, there's way too much. Like it's it's both exhausting yet you want more at the same time. And do you, do you think that that's more of like a social phenomenon? Or do you think that's more of like just from a back-end perspective because there's so many platforms. It seems like there's like a new platform coming out every couple of months now. Or if a new platform comes out and gets traction, another company makes their version of it. Right. Right. Or like where Instagram will just basically like <laughs> incorporate every idea. I mean, like Reels is literally yeah. TikTok. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, and YouTube, I think, is doing their own version of it too. So yeah, Shorts. Like, yeah. Yep. Um, so first of all, I don't, I don't really – I don't fully agree with that. I, I think that um, – like for example, just to like rag on you know beat a dead horse, I I, I don't actually think a, a a platform like Instagram needs more content at all. Um, in fact, you know they're building their algorithm to like try to cut down on how much content people are seeing. Um, and so for Instagram specifically, I would say that's for sure not true. Like there is so much content that even people that follow you don't even see all your content. Right. Um, and so, but however, you bring up a great thing with like Netflix and all of the, um, the streaming platforms, they desperately need content. Like so desperately they are, they're paying people large amounts of money to have their shows on there because at the end of the day, it's just like, it's, it's just an attention thing. Right. And like, um, there's like millions, if not billions of people on Instagram. So there's no shortage of eyeballs to justify ad spend. Right. Whereas like Netflix and you no, know, like, um, Tubu or whatever the weird name is for some of those. And some of the other streaming platforms, like they're able to sell advertising based on how many people are on there watching. So if they don't have good enough content, not enough people are watching, which means they can't charge for their advertising right and so they're in a situation where they're at a content shortage so i think it totally depends on where you're at even to go back to linkedin uh, i think there was like a stat i read like probably just a couple years ago that like it was like uh, like i want to say it was like less than a quarter of the people on, on linkedin were making content which is unbelievable um like it's like wild that's a platform that probably doesn't have a shortage of a need for content i guess well, no, actually, that would be one where it, it would have one, right? So, like, Instagram has so much content they're cutting down. LinkedIn only has a quarter of the people Sorry, on that's it actually making to, content. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, LinkedIn, oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like oh, like, there's there's a need there if, if no one's yes. making it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Which means that there's a hole for your business to be able to make content and actually get it seen because you're not with competing with as many people. So there's an opportunity there. And that goes back to the whole thing of marketers ruin everything is at the end of the day, like everyone's talking about LinkedIn, which means everyone's going to show up there and everyone's going to be a gold content. rush. And then and it's, it's going to be, be the same. People thing. are going to get exhausted. And then it's like, OK, <laughs> move on to the next thing where it's like, oh, there's not there's not much here. Let's right. flood it. Exactly. And I think that it just goes back to kind of the treadmill that everyone's running on now 
which is that by not staying kind of bleeding edge, you're essentially missing like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, you know, like you're missing getting that open real estate. Exactly. Right. So there's like a window of time for every platform where they're going, they're going to want to open up the floodgates because they want as many people on their platform as possible. And then there's going to hit a point where there's so many people making so much content that it begins to destroy the user experience. And then they begin to clamp down on it with algorithms. And so like, if you, you know, to use Instagram as an example again, like if you had, you know, I don't know how long you've been on Instagram, but at one point, like you could flood Instagram with content and people would see every single one of the pieces of content in the order that you posted them. Um, because like there was no restrictions on that. And then eventually they did restrict it. And I remember it was a sad day for a lot of people (laughs) because the, the shooting fish in a barrel was over. Like you can't just post content anymore and get it seen for sure. Um, and so there was a period of time where you could do that. And so the people who did massively grew their following, like disgusting amounts. Right. And they were able to then leverage that content into other places, uh, like new emerging platforms. And so that's like I was you know, I was pretty early to TikTok, but I was also like pretty late when it came down to it. Like um, like you know, I was on it early for a business, but late for like a person. And gotcha. so um, a lot of those floodgates weren't quite as open too when I started posting, and you know I feel that. So I. Oh, sorry. No, Finish no, I'm just, I'm just, you know, just to wrap it up, just basically the idea of it, like, you, you know, your your really big opportunities when it comes to these emerging social media platforms is at the very, very beginning when there's really no like viable reason to be there is that's when the algorithm is wide open and you have that window to at least try it and see if it's a good place to be because it just gets harder and harder and harder and harder to make it if you're showing up you know showing up to youtube now is truly challenging (laughs) speaking of of uh businesses platform businesses versus people and showing up to platforms and this is going to be like the last of i guess like the more general questions because i do want to get into your specific business and what you do in your journey um and i actually had a previous guest of the show uh who got their content you know their content was used by a a a larger business without permission um and uh i believe that was the Brittany taylor episode Uh, so Brittany, if you're out there um Hopefully you're listening to more episodes, and uh, hopefully you don't mind me using using that little tidbit of information. Uh, right. But, and it's not an uncommon thing, um, you know, especially because there is so so much. You know, depending on the platform, there is either so much content or a need for a lot of content. Uh, I think the more um, how should I put this? A more uh, uh, like a big headline. Um, that has been at least in the news of like the creative world is, uh, you know, legendary graffiti artist, artist in general, uh, future, a future 2000. Um, he's going to court with, uh, the North face, um, mm. because they have a, a line called future light and they use this Adam logo that's hand drawn. And like, that's been part of his motif since like the early eight, you know, the early to mid eighties, I believe. And, Oh wow. So he's saying them the court, and now North Face is like, no, like that Adam drawing and the way you draw it is not your intellectual property, even though like he's known for that. <laughs> so it's like, right. it's and it's getting nasty. Um, so what can you know if you're a person on a platform, like you said, like oh, I was I was late to TikTok as a person. So if you're a person on a platform who has created content, gotten a following, and then you find that your business is using your content, uh, what you made. 
um, and hasn't asked for permission. Or, you know, sometimes I'll have a conversation like, hey, we want to, you know, we want to use to promote this product. And then like you're either not getting paid or, or they manipulate the content you made in a way that you didn't foresee. Like how could people, um, creatives and individuals protect themselves or is there any way to protect yourself uh, from that? Or, or is it more of like, it's not a moment of if, it's a moment of when. Uh, how do you, like what can you do? And has that ever happened to you? Like anything no. that you made has been taken out of context and used in a way where you're like, uh, we never worked with this business. What the hell's going on? No, I'd, I've never had that happen. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine it not ever happening. So I guess to answer your question, I feel like if if you know you're doing something, it's probably going to get copied at some point um, if it's good. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I think in some ways it's just a matter of time. I think that. Um, just like many things in life, um, people do things, and when enough people get slapped on the wrist, they'll stop it. And so, who knows? Maybe that this will be that situation where uh, you know future may or may not win that battle, and that is uh, kind of a you know a shot across the the bow of the boat to let people know, like, hey, like this isn't going to go so well if you try this out. Um, and maybe that'll be enough of a slap on the wrist on the industry to respect people's stuff, but. Um, you know, that's just so tough. I just feel like what North Face did was kind of a stupid move because it, in, in no way, shape, or form does that make them look like a like a nice company. And what's even crazier is that same artist has worked with other like companies that are similar to the North Face. Like he did a collection with with uh, Futura did a collection with Burton a couple years back. Okay. Um, using that kind of like hand style and stuff like that so it's not like this is a business like like a, a business in an industry that like that artist has never even worked in it's like mm. no like he's worked with some of your could be could be considered competitors right so which it, it makes it even look even worse it's like oh really <laughs> you know like and there were people who thought it was a legit collaboration he had to come out and say no and then when he went to court like their response just made it look even like like you said made it look even worse when they were like oh he has no rights to like claim any of this and it's like have you followed this guy's work <laughs> like at all like right. he's you know and he's been around for a long time <laughs> it's not like he's a new artist he's been around since the late 70s early 80s so it's and he's pretty well-known guy and like all these different types of of fields when it comes to content and putting things out so right yeah yeah well that, i mean that's tough i mean i haven't i haven't personally seen uh the artwork to like give it my own two cents uh, as far as like how close I feel it is to the same, um, but yeah, it's just like from a PR perspective, it just kind of makes like North Face look like a douche. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like why? Like, why did you have no other creative ideas that like you couldn't have just like skirted around that one a little bit? Like, why? You know, <laughs> why didn't you just come up with a different idea? Yeah, and the product, <laughs> like, and the product line's called Future Light, which didn't help them out at all. Oh yeah, no, that's just retarded. Some, <laughs> someone was an idiot. You're, you're is what just it boils like, down to. Okay, really, really, really North yeah. Face, like, like, very similar product name, similar logo to something that's been done before in right. a really certain style. It's just, and I wanted to ask that just because as somebody who who puts out content and where yeah. you know, there's there's one thing where things look similar, and there's another thing where it's like outright stealing, and you know, you hear about like a bigger company just taking it, like, or even using a photograph in a campaign. It's like, and the photographer's like, you know, like like in the case of. Uh, of um of uh my guest you know Brittany like oh like yeah you took that from me and I didn't never gave you authorization to do it yeah and, and then you know it, it can and the response can vary and sometimes companies don't even care so it's like what can you do 
um, right. as a creative or somebody putting out content. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything like you can do. I mean, outside of like literally just hiring a lawyer, right? Um, you know, to do that. But I mean, like realistically, you know, to the best of my knowledge, almost every artist is given away the right to things like by literally posting them on any social media platform. Like, as far as I understand it, all the small print in the, like, you know, Instagram and Facebooks and all those other things say that, like, they're at liberty to, like, use those for whatever they want. And so I feel like sometimes there's, like, this illusion uh, the people's stuff is their own, but then they've given away that right by posting. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, North Face had any right to post anything. Um, and clearly that was just, like, a really stupid move. Um, from like any normal human being's perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, so for me, it's kind of like, yeah, you're kind of like, you, you've kind of like given away your right a little bit already by like, by getting that attention on your work, if that makes sense. Like you could keep your work and not post it on Instagram and also nobody could see it. So the fact that you're giving up those rights may be worth the trade. It's a it's a it's a balance and a and it's like how do yeah. you balance the two? It's like when people talk about like privacy. Mm. It's like I'm I'm convinced that nobody has any privacy at all, and having a conversation about whether or not you have privacy is hilarious because the reality is is like you've given it away to everyone. <laughs> like you know how many like how many applications in the world that you put your social security number on? Like I don't even know how people haven't stolen everyone's identity. I really don't. Um, but, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. So for me, it's really tough. I, you know, I do think it's worth the battle, honestly. Like I feel like future should do that because on, on one sense, you know, people have to respect you as an artist, um, that your work is worthwhile. It's worth defending. Um, certainly as a brand, you have an image and identity to guard, and, you know, if, you know, if you're an artist or a business, like you spend a lot of time and energy developing a brand and an image and identity and a reputation. And it's, it's worth defending uh, because that is part of, of building it um, is, is not having other people redefine it for you because you've lost the, you know, lost control of the narrative. And so, you know, when someone goes and steals your work, you know, they're, they're doing more than just stealing from you. They're beginning to, like, color your brand um, in a way that you probably would not appreciate. <laughs> because now they're, being in, they're beginning to speak into the identity of your brand um, or you as an artist, which I would also con- kind of consider a brand. And, uh, and, and that can destroy you long term. And obviously that's not good either. And so I do think Future should sue. I think, you know, every artist should be willing to defend their work and take it back because it, like I said, it's more than just stealing. It's, it's beginning to allow people, other people to begin shape the impressions of your brand. And even like letting somebody else tell your story rather than you telling your story. mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like from a photography perspective, like I've kind of already thought through this a little bit because of being in the wedding industry, you know, you'll have people who are, you know, trying to be on a budget and they'll want to be like, oh, like, can you shoot the photos and I'll edit them? And it's kind of like on the surface that makes sense because you're like, well, like, I'd love to have the work. Like, I'm still going to be shooting. It's still going to be my work. But at the end of the day, it's also kind of not your work because someone else is going to edit your photos. They could look like complete garbage and then they post them and then they tag you in them. And so now like the the. The quality of work gets called into question because you've allowed other people to shape how other people see your business. 
um, by editing the photos. And so it's a huge risk when a creator, uh, when a creative gives other people creative control, which is essentially what's happening with North Face. Is that he's, you know, if he doesn't fight and win, he's given North Face the ability to creatively control his brand. So speaking of building things and building things up, uh, what made you decide that you wanted to start your own creative agency? Like, like how, what was that? Was that like more of like an aha moment or was it just something that like was simmering over time and like then it just boiled over? Uh, probably more simmer. Um, for me, like I just, I, I, uh, I like to be in control <laughs> is what it boils down to. Um, and, uh, and not because I think I have the best ideas in the world or anything like that. It's just like, I like to be in charge of creating the solutions to things. And so, you know, I had, you know, you know, classic tale, uh, you know, you work for someone and you enjoy the work, but you don't like how the work gets done or how the, you know, the management works or stuff like that. Right. Like, I'm sure you've never heard anyone say that. Um, but like for me, it was kind of like I, you know, I want to be in control of creating an environment that's fun to work in, that's good, that's good for me, that gives me creative control, creative freedom, uh, not only from like a, like a, you know, quote unquote, like creative side, but in the sense that like, I like that I can wake up one day and decide to go work at a coffee shop and I don't have to ask anyone's permission. Um, and like, I could go to another state, I could do whatever the flip I want to do and build my business wherever I want. Um, and that freedom for me is, is intoxicating. And um, I know some people get some of those things, especially now, like not so much post pre-COVID, post-COVID, that's definitely much more the norm where people are allowed to work. But like I had a buddy that just started work for a company and he's a remote worker and they like and in no uncertain terms told him he needed to have a place of work. So like he still has an office. It's just his house. But he's like he's they're expecting him to be there. Um, they're not they're not okay with him just like going and working in California for like a month. Um, and so at the end of the day, someone's still calling the shots. Um, and I don't enjoy that. And I didn't like, I didn't like asking for raises and money. Like, um, I wanted to be able to have, uh, the work that I put into my quality of work, uh, to define my pay. And so like, if I wanted to get really good, I wanted to be able to charge really good. And if I sucked, then I was never going to make any money. And so for me to be able to uh, be in control of some of those things as well and not be beholden to someone else's opinion of my work um, from like a managerial standpoint, um, where they're looking to like pitch pennies and stuff like that, like some of my experiences in like the grocery industry were, um, I wanted to not have that. And so... Having my own agency was a way for me to be creatively in control and administratively in control, and um, but still be part of a team and still be a part of like being able to build a team that I could like trust and rely on and 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 pass some of those responsibilities off to so that they could have a chance to work for someone who cared about them and wanted to develop them and challenge them and grow them and actually give a crap about them and not treat them like a freaking cog in the wheel. Lot, lot to unpack there, and I've got, a, <laughs> and, and I, no, I've, I've got some, I've got some follow up questions for that. So I'm, I'm glad I wrote some of these down. Um, one I have is, was there a moment or series of moments? Because I, I think for anybody who starts anything, there's like a, mo- like there's a moment or series of moments where it's like, oh, this is real now. Like this mm. is like how I'm making my living. 
was for you what was that like for you was that like was it just nope i'm doing this agency and like from here on in this is how it is or was there like or was it more like when you got like your first client or first couple clients like if you did your first campaign what was the moment for you where like oh this is this is like a real thing like this agency is is real like what i'm do what i've built is like a real entity it's a real thing that's gonna like that i'm gonna live off of isn't that funny that that's like a, a process like where you yourself have to believe that it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like for some get... people it's like instant, but some people it, like it takes a while. And that's why, that's why I wanted to ask the question. Cause I, I think the answer is really interesting depending on who you ask. Well, I'm like, I, I always say like, I'm a, I'm a classic late bloomer. So like, you know, even, you know, even in my mid thirties, like sometimes I'm like, man, like I'm an adult <laughs> and, I, and it feels so stupid to say, but like, you know, you always kind of get like caught in, how people have viewed you in the past, you know what I mean? And so, you know, you get older and you get more mature, you get more learned, if you will, to use an old person word. And, um, you know, and then you, you, you forget that people don't necessarily see you how you see you. And so it, it's just kind of funny. It's like, oh, like, like I'm a, like a 35 year old dude with gray hair. Like people are going to look and, and, and react to me differently now than, you know, five, 10 years ago. And so I feel like something similar like that happens in the business where like you start out and you're doing things and it's like more like hobby or you're like, you're just trying really hard and you're just sucking like so bad, especially like when you first start, um, whether it's like you doing stuff on your own or whether you're doing stuff in school, like everyone starts kind of sucking at something and then you just get better. Right. And so it's so funny because because of the fact that you're always like learning and trying to break new ground, or at least I would hope someone is, uh, with their craft and their business, um, you kind of like always are in this like figuring out the next thing mode and you kind of can forget to like look up and see how far you've come. And I feel like uh, oftentimes when I've, not like lost perspective, but when I have not been able to take the time to celebrate how far I've come is because I've been like just so busy learning and trying to grow that I've, I haven't realized how far I came. Like, you know, like, have you ever gone like a, on a hike and you're so busy looking at your feet and then all of a sudden like you look back and you're like up the, you know, half the side of the mountainside and it's cause you're looking at your feet to make sure you yeah. don't trip on rocks. Yeah. You're like, Oh, when, when the heck did that happen? Exactly. And like all of a sudden you're like halfway up a mountain and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I can't believe I've came this far or, or whatever. And so I feel like the same thing happens in business. And so I don't know if there's been any like real defining moment. I would say, you know, I definitely have one defining moment where like a client wrote me like probably the biggest check I've ever gotten doing business. And I'm like, holy crap, like this person just spent several thousand dollars on me. Like they trust me to do something with this money um, that gives, you know, gives them, you know, X times return on that. Um, wow. What a responsibility. Uh, that's that's pretty wild. And so, I, you know, I definitely like those moments have been really defining moments and realizing like, Oh, like this is for real. Like people aren't just like giving me something to do because I'm giving them a a good deal or because they're just like going out on a limb or whatever else. Like they're legitimately giving me thousands of dollars because they legitimately trust me to make them thousands of dollars back. And, uh, what a, what a, a humbling and, um, weighty moment when you realize that like, Hey, like, there's like real responsibility that comes with this paycheck and it's not just, you know, um, playing games anymore. So another thing you said before was that you started the agency cause you like control. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time though, 
you know, earlier you were talking about how like I don't like the tedium of video editing, so <laughs> you have somebody else do that. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing. I I, I want to get some information from you on is, uh, you know, you have control yet when you make your first hire, you have to relinquish some control. You got you you yeah. know, depending on how you're running your company, you have to you know trust that other people are going to do what they're going to do. So what what has that process been like for you? Um, as far as how do you go about like picking in and choosing and evaluating of, oh yeah, like I, I want this person within this agency and I trust that they're going to do what they need to do. Like, how do you realize, like, what do you have control over and what, and like, how do you evaluate like what you need to farm out versus what you don't need to farm out? And then how, mm-hmm. what is that process of like evaluating and picking and choosing and hiring um, the person to, to do those things? Right. So just for the sake of honesty, it's only me and this one of the girl is part of the agency. Oh, okay. Um, okay, fair so enough. So I have like one employee. Um, now, with that said, though, I have like 12 years experience like running a team like from a volunteer perspective um, with, with like church from like varying age groups from like 50s down to like 13-year-olds. And so I've had a, a pretty wide breadth of experience and dealing with all kinds of people that I was in charge of running. Um, so like I was like the tech director at several different churches. Um, and so like being able to give people like creative freedom and also being able to monitor that monitor that a little bit was something I have quite a quite a few years in. And so um, but just for the sake of the creative agency, I want to be honest on that. Um, so for me, it's. There's a lot of different parts to it. I would say, like, I think a lot of people run into that, like, relinquishing control part. Um, and I've, I wouldn't say I've never struggled with that because I think there's probably going to be things I eventually have to give up that I'm probably going to be a lot less comfortable with doing. Um, things that, like, I probably think I'm the best at, or at least the best at right now, um, that I'm going to have a hard time giving up. Um, but that has not yet happened for me. And part of that is because, I've just always been able to value what other people bring to the table um, in the sense that, like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that, like, I have great ideas, but I don't have the only ideas, and I don't even necessarily have the best ideas. Um, and so when other people bring things to the table, it's, it's refreshing to know that, um, like, what I'm able to do is better because of their contribution, not in spite of it. And so... Um, you know, and, and I can only make so much impact and only have so many ideas and only execute on so many other things before I have to bring someone along uh, to help with that. And that was really where I was at. Like, I have all these ideas for content to make to promote our agency and to do work for our clients. But, like, I can only do so much. Like, I only got so many hours a day and so much energy. And, like, at the end of that, then I run out. And then what else can I do? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so uh, being able to bring someone on was really, really huge. Uh, to be able to make a bigger impact and do better work. And so, like, for example, like with the, the girl that's doing the editing, Rylin, um, she is, she's probably just now starting to get to the point where she's like a, a better editor than I am. You know, I've, I've been doing it for years, but she's just like instinctively better at it. And so now that she's had, you know, like some time underneath, you know, the time in the saddle, if you will, um, she's getting like really good. She's going to be a much better video editor than I will be. So like, why? It, I'd be crazy to try to um, snag power and do that myself when I know that eventually 
And even now, uh, she is actually going to produce better work for our clients than I am. And so why wouldn't I want that? (laughs) So, um, but she has like some like, she has some like things about her that lend herself to do well. Like she's, she is creative, but she's also like very dedicated. She's very like good at like teaching herself some things uh, on her own. And so like I've taught her and developed her, but like she's also taught herself a lot of things as well. And so um, there was a, a, a funny quote that I found on like this super old book uh, at like a consignment store. And it was, the quote was something around the lines of how much help you need to do your job is directly attached to your value to the company. And so there's this idea that like the more handholding you need, the more worthless you are <laughs> to the company. And so, um, you know, she's like the opposite of that. She's like a person I don't need to hand, you know, hold her hand to like get her to do work or do well and learn. And so, you know, she's not up in my business trying to like ask questions all the time. She's figuring out a lot of things on her own, which is amazing as a business owner to be able to have someone who can like figure things out on their own. And so um, I feel like I'm veering a little bit from your actual question. So can you restate it a little bit? No, no <laughs> Or like no. get me back on track? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, I, I think I, I actually I'm, I'm going to move on to the next one because I think you answered it, uh, okay. you know, uh, beautifully, which was just how do you how do you determine like, oh, I want control. Yet at the same mm, time, yeah, at some point, you're not going to be able to you may not be able to do everything. So then, OK, I'm going to have to farm this workout. Then how do you pick, choose and evaluate? And, you uh, mm, you know, yeah. how do you make that higher? How do you go about that first hire? So I think you answered it beautifully. And, and oh, cool. I think sometimes it's not that's not what people think about, like at some point if you're doing things on your own, you're going to have to scale and just that scaling, even if it's just making that first hire, that's such a process that I don't think people envision, but you're going to have to do it eventually. So yeah, as somebody who's made that first hire, thank you for sharing that information. Cause I think that's going to be helpful to people. Um, yeah. so speaking of first, can you, the process or what it was like just getting that first client for your agency? It was frustrating cause it didn't actually come out of like any attempts of my own to get one. Um, <laughs> so like I was joyful, um, but it's like you know you go to all this work to like get your content out, content out there and like optimize it and do all the things you know, try to you know do what I preach, which is actually kind of challenging to be honest. Um, and uh, and then I like get it just from like some like random like referral from a friend of mine. And so I was like, dang, I'm going to all this work, <laughs> and then I get it from like no effort of my own that I'm doing. Uh, it's just kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's still awesome, but it's kind of like a little bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> and so, uh, but it was, it was really fun. Uh, it was actually a really cool project. So, um, uh, we're still actually in the midst of it, so I'm not sure how freely I can talk about it right now, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, definitely wild. So yeah, it is. Yeah. So I guess it was, it was frustrating because I didn't get them how I had hoped I would get them. You know, you always try to like do your really good job of like putting yourself out there and like, you know, you know, lead magnets and the whole nine yards. And then you get something from like completely something totally different. And you're like, dude, <laughs> I just, I just spent a lot of effort doing this. Like, I can't believe that worked. But at the same time, you're also grateful to have a client. So, you know, you just, you just say, cool. <laughs> and speaking of clients, like, I'm curious how do you go about determining the clients do you want to work with? Like, do you reach out to people? Do people reach out to you? Is there like a process where you're just talking with them, getting to know them and, and evaluating like, Hey, is this going to be a good fit? 
Mm-hmm. Um, how does that process work for you? And has there ever been a client or a campaign, whether it's before the campaign started or even maybe even even worse during the campaign, where you've had to just go, you know what, I, I need like my my me and my agency need to walk away from this. <laughs> Quite recently, actually. Oh. Okay. Um, so it's a learning process, and the reality is, is you're working in like an area of non-tangibles, right? And so we're doing digital marketing. And so for some of these things, there's like physical uh, assets that are getting delivered. And by physical, I mean like physically on a hard drive, I guess. And then others aren't. Like strategy is not really like a physical product. It's a a service and it's not tangible in any way, shape, or form. Like, um, you know, they don't hire me to like run Facebook ads. I don't give them anything. You know what I mean? And so it it can be kind of uh, a lot to try to walk a client through what you're doing and what the process is and what they can expect. Because it's not like, you know, if if you go to a BMW dealership, like you're you're and you you purchase something, you're driving off the lot with a BMW like that's not a you know, it's not a surprise what you're getting. Um, And so but there can be a little bit of surprise when it comes to. like an artistic approach to some of these things. Like, you know, you, you commission a painting. You don't actually know exactly what it's going to look like. Um, you have an idea. Uh, you've seen previous work that the artists have done. Um, but, you know, if they paint a picturing, picture of you, like, it's going to look not necessarily exactly how you expect it because there's no way to know what that is. Um, they're creating. And so uh, that can be really challenging in the marketing space as well, especially in the content marketing, because we're dealing in in some non-tangibles. And so some things um, you can say, like, I approve or disapprove and other things not. And so that's that's been challenging to work through because every client also has a different perspective and different lens that they see the world. Um, They have different levels of experience and how they've walked through things before. And so, um, you know, let's just say, for example, you have a very experienced client. They may be working, they may have worked through things previously in a different way. And so you don't know what kind of expectations they're walking into. Uh, And being able to have great conversations about that on the front end saves so much heartache uh, when it goes into actually like the creation mode of the the job. And so, uh, and then if you have a client that, uh, has not done a lot of the work before, which is this specific example, like you begin to have to explain a lot of things that you never really thought about having to explain uh, because um, they're not walking in with a lot of, um, like they're not going to be able to ask like the right questions uh, because they don't even know what questions to ask. And so you kind of have to anticipate those things, which is a lot to work through and, and, and think through, uh, especially for me. I don't know. It's just... It's a lot to work through. So you're, you're basically constantly constantly developing your systems to be able to talk to a variety of people and a variety of level of experiences. And sometimes things slip through the cracks. And so in this particular case, um, we were doing uh, logo work for someone. And so we had taken them to through a creative process that I fully anticipated would be perfectly fine. Uh, ended up not working out well. And then, um, you know, they said... Uh, the words that every graphic designer fears to hear, which is, I'll know it when I see it. And, um, oh boy. yeah. And so, um, you, you know, and for me, it's kind of like, you know, what do you say at that point? And, you know, I'm always wanting to take responsibility, um, as the business owner to be able to make sure that I'm always doing the best job I can. And so for me, I was like, you know what, um, 
this person doesn't have as much experience in it in, in getting this creative work done. Uh, I know that that phrase is the kiss of death as far as the success of that specific part of the project. Um, but I also want to walk away from this learning as much as I can. And so for me, I wanted to take responsibility for this and be able to like, okay, like how the next time I have a conversation with someone, how can I better set them up for success and set us up for success um, in those like pre-production conversations so that something like this doesn't happen again. And it's not like it won't ever happen again. It's not like it's impossible for it to ever happen again. But like how can I arrange my conversations in a way that like hopefully remove, you know, as many of these kinds of conversations that are, n- are not fun to have uh, and, and not, you know, have fewer of them. And so that was a situation where like once I heard that phrase, I knew that it was not going to be good. Um, and we have more work that we're doing for them, even currently. And so, um, but it was just like, it was just a really great learning lesson of, you know, the conversations and the questions that we need to have to be able to work out the things that I didn't think I needed to explain that I need to explain. So that way no one feels like they're getting taken advantage of that they're, you know, we're trying to pull the rug out from under them or, you know, put the wool over their eyes or whatever phrase you want to use for it. Um, and, you know, because at the end of the day, we're developing trust with them and, and their trust in us and what we can do is um, going to change like how much weight they can really put on our opinions and our thoughts and our suggestions and stuff like that. And so the last thing I want to have that happen is have that bad experience as much as that was not, you know, 100% our fault. Um, I don't want that experience to tarnish the uh you know the trust that we built so far and how things are going to progress in the future but it did inform us on how to have better conversations with people not only them but people in the future too so um so yeah so i mean i think it's just like a constantly evolving thing to answer your question about like how to know what client to work with i think it's always an evolving thing because um you know you're essentially conducting an, an interview on both ends and i think um, when you're first starting, uh, you can be so excited to have clients and, or more clients that you don't, you aren't as thorough in your interview process to make sure that they're a good fit. Um, because at the end of the day, if they're not happy, you know, and they talk badly about your business or just didn't go well, that's a hit to like your team's morale and your own personal morale. And it's also a hit to the reputation of the business. And it would have been much better to just not make the money. Uh, than have to be able to go through that. So I think just realizing it's an interview process, just like any other, that they're interviewing you to make sure you can actually deliver on what you claim and what they want, and you're interviewing them to make sure that like, hey, if I do this work for this client, what do they view as success? What do they view as this project going well? What do they want out of this? And can I deliver that on that? And am I explaining the process well enough to them that they feel confident that we're headed in the right direction and that they have input and say and approval along the way. And so I think that's just super important. Just treat it like an actual interview because it is. <laughs> and and is, is that interview process, is, is that your main way of getting to know a customer and their brand and their story? Because you're helping them tell their story, mm-hmm. yeah. but you're not them. So it's this, this interesting problem of, I only have so much time to do this thing for you. I have to get to know you and your story in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. So is, is the interview process the main way you do that? Or do you have other tools in your toolbox that you do to get to know that company and their brand and their story so you can uh, effectively help them tell it as best as possible? Well, in this particular case, we were building their brand for the first time from the ground up. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was more of like a, a personal brand 
situation, and so getting to know them as a person was going to be huge. Um, and so there was really no previous things to base it off of, right? And so, because uh, we were building it from the, from the ground up. So the interview process was really to get to know them and what they were trying to build and uh, what they're hoping to get out of it, as well as just get a feel for who they were as a person. And so, and for me, that, that, that to me is like, when we talk about things that would be hard to give up creative control on, that would be very difficult for me to have someone else walk in and do that, um, unless I was really convinced that they were really good at it. Because um, that's like, that's to me, like one of the most like creatively intense parts about it um, is getting that right. Because if you don't get the story right, then you're gonna tell the wrong story really well right <laughs> that doesn't do anyone any good no um and so uh let's see here so what was part two of that question oh it's just uh besides the interview process oh you right because you have to, like do you have any other tools or ways to get to know a client their brand and their story in a relatively short amount of time considering like you only have so much time to work on whatever you need to work on with them yeah i think just like yeah so yeah so i guess the point i was getting to is like for example if a brand has a pre-existing brand you know i feel like just going through and doing like a, some light research on that would be really helpful and and getting an idea of where they're at now um, and then not making the assumption that they're happy with where they are right now like they're coming to you because they want to make a change or make an improvement um, but uh, where they are is not necessarily where they want to be in five years. And so, um, you know, I think it's just, you know, it just kind of goes back to like the whole, like, not like interview thing, but just like asking a lot of questions like, hey, I saw your websites like this. Do you like that? Hey, I saw your colors of these. Do you like that? Like, is this reaching the right people? Like when you say this in your bio, like this kind of makes me think this, this and this. Is that what you want to actually communicate or is that? No, you know, not true. And then be able to just like just continue to be able to ask just like a lot of questions. That's really what it comes down to. It's just just asking just more questions than you probably want to, <laughs> to be honest, and just getting a real sense of where they want to be. Because I feel like one of the things that marketers can really run into is they want to prevent solu- They want to present solutions of what they think the best thing is, and that is important. That is what people are hiring you for. But it's also important to realize that like this whole process is emotional too. And so it's important to make sure that you're on the same page with that business to make sure that what they want to do um, lines up with that a little bit, right? Because it's like, I always say it's like trying to convince someone to date you. Like it's really challenging and it probably doesn't work because they're not on board. Um, and so the same thing can happen with a business where like they're coming at you for like solving X, Y, and Z problem, but you're looking at something else and being like, yeah, but you need to fix this, this, and this. And you might be right, but at the end of the day, like if you're not fixing the problems that the business thinks they need help with, then you're ultimately going to fail. Um, but those are, again, questions to ask at the beginning, which is like, hey, how do you guys feel about addressing these issues? We don't want to touch them. Okay, fine. Probably not a good fit because at the end of the day, I know if I make X video for you, but like the the messaging was wrong to begin with, it's going to fail. And so this is not a good fit if you're not willing to touch the messaging right now. And then maybe they say, oh, just kidding. We're totally okay with doing that now. Or maybe they say, okay, fine. And then they leave and then you've just avoided failing because ultimately you knew you were going to because they weren't willing to touch other problems that you know professionally are going to affect other decisions you make creatively.
Your customers are doing research and possibly interviewing you, but are you researching and interviewing your customers? Because if you're not, you could be setting yourself up for failure. I think Steven said it best. Convincing a customer that's not a good fit is like convincing someone to date you. It's really tough and usually doesn't end well. So get out of the game of convincing. Stop convincing yourself and your client that you're both a good fit for each other when you're really not. Because all that time spent convincing a client that's ultimately not right for you could have been spent with a client or even multiple clients that are right for you. And time, just like money, is a resource that should never be wasted. Is it difficult for you and your agency to basically, you're in business telling the stories of other people and businesses, but then at the same time, you got to promote yourself and tell your story? Yeah. So is that ever like, does that ever mess with you? Is it ever like a, like a kind of like a switching gears thing you have to do? Like, how do you balance those two things? <laughs> I like to view myself as someone who's like pretty flexible with how they can tell stories. But what I realized is that actually isn't that true. <laughs> And um, I, I, I have kind of a way I do things. Um, and so that has been what I've realized is it's more advantageous for us to position ourselves with the right kinds of people um, than anything else. Right. And so, for example, like we did uh, a video for a local brewery and we did a phenomenal job. The client was super happy. They're like, wow, like this is like totally us. Like they were really happy with it. Like put it on the you know front you know the first page of their website which wasn't even the plan like super stoked about it because I felt like it like really spoke to who they were as a business and I was like so excited about that uh, but at the end of the day like that's because we just can tell those stories really easily like it's just like it kind of comes naturally to us like as as an artistic um like is is part of is part of like our native natu- uh, uh, creative expression, if that makes sense. Like it, it's kind of like our language that we already speak well. So there's not a whole lot of changes I have to do to the, my approach to do that well. Does that make sense? So, it does. It does. Um, and so for us, um, doing our best to align ourselves with places where our like native storytelling um, aligns with to me puts us in a position to win it puts them in a position to win too and it's not like we can't change things up and do things differently for other people it's just like i want to be able to do my best work and in doing so i need to do work that kind of natively comes more naturally to me and so really just positioning ourselves to do that and so for us it's it's making sure that we're presenting that when we do our own marketing um, you know, if other people come to us and see our work and still want us to do stuff for them and they're like totally outside of the industry, that's totally fine. And we're not going to like butcher it. You know what I mean? We're going to take our time learning their story. But um, like, I feel like that's kind of like an artist thing to do when it comes to like having to switch gears when it comes to like changing how you do things, I guess. And so like there's artists that get pretty bent out of shape when they're asked to do things that don't like come from them if that makes sense like you wouldn't ask van gogh to not do van gogh style like you wouldn't commission him to do uh a modern 
Cubanism piece or something like that. But I'm not I'm not like an artist in that sense. Like I don't have too much of my own identity wrapped up into that specific part of it. And so uh, to be able to natively storytell for someone else who's outside of like my native kind of like visual language isn't isn't the end of the world because I just don't view it in the same way that like a, like a true artist would. And going on with that, how can businesses who maybe, or how, like, and I don't know, maybe you've, you've encountered this problem where like, you said you did a video for a brewery. So a brewery, mm-hmm. like, yes, it's beer, it's, it's food, it's drink, but there are certain things within beer and brewing that can lend itself to certain styles of creative storytelling. Yeah. Yet there may be other industries like accounting, you know, somebody's like an independent accountant where it may not lend itself. So what about those businesses in those industries where it doesn't all like the industry, the nature of the business doesn't always lend itself to certain forms of storytelling. Like how do you, how do you work with those businesses or what can those businesses do in order to have like a presence and order in order to tell their story, but maybe they're what they actually do does not lend itself to creative storytelling, I guess. Are you trying to tell me that accounting isn't sexy on digital marketing? <laughs> I mean, I feel you know what I I've seen some ads where it made it look that way, and I'm just like, whoever did that was a genius because right. I now care about accounting, which I did not before. So, um, or a, 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 an interesting theory a friend of mine had, not to go too off topic, he was uh, talking about how like in the movie Ghostbusters, I think the dude's Rick Moranis' character Lewis Tully. He was like, I want a movie about that guy. I'm like, you want a movie about the accountant? He's like, yeah, like he he should not be living in that place. And like, is he an accountant for the mob? Like, how does he how is he throwing these parties? Like, I have so many questions about that guy. I'm like, man, that just sounds like a marketing campaign. Like, make somebody look like like an accountant look like Lewis Tully. And then now it's like, I want to know more about that person. But anyway, <laughs> how, how do you like like how would you go about doing that? Like, if like if somebody came to you like, yeah, I'm an accountant. My business is not sexy in the world of digital marketing. I want you to make it sexy. Like. Have you ever encountered something like that before? And how do you work with that kind of client? Or what can a business do to, to make it interesting, I guess? How much money can. do you have? Yeah. <laughs> so I think to just explain some of the contrast between, say, like the brewing world and the accounting world, um, the thing you have to realize is like you're kind of – there's just two different ways that you're attracting people, right? Like, for example – um, like when you're looking for accounting, you're looking for someone who can um, really like be on your side and be able to crunch the numbers in a way that like keeps you money and keeps you organized and keeps you happy and keeps your business afloat or your personal financing afloat and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, you're looking for like kind of like a friend, right? Who's like on your side, who's really positioning you in a way that to succeed in your, in your finances. Um, so that's what, kind of what you're looking for, right? And so, whereas with like the brewery, you're looking for like a cool, vibey place to be, uh, to enjoy uh, time with people and enjoy good beer, right? And so, like, um, like visually, uh, two very different things, right? Like, accounting office is not gonna look sexy. Um, I mean, not any that I've seen. I'm sure they could, um, 
but you know and you know brewery is very you know cool looking you know got wood on the walls and you know edison light bulbs and stuff like that but that's because people are looking for two different things you know what i mean and so like yes a brewery look a brewery looks awesome visually like if we're speaking about like photography and video and stuff like that but that's because that's literally what people are looking for when they're looking for a brewery is it a cool place to be right is it got cool vibes um that isn't what people are looking for when they're looking for their accounting and so um, you know, the thing you got to be careful about is like putting those in, not that you're doing this, but like the tough thing is, is like an accountant would look at that video and say like, oh, like it'll never be that cool. But the reality is, is that's not why people are coming to you. You know, like if you walked into an accounting office and it had like shiplap on the walls, like you'd be like, oh, that's kind of different. Um, it's not what I'm here for, but sure. Um, and so, um, you kind of have to connect with the reason why people are reaching out to you. That, that's really where that storytelling changes and um, the way you position the business changes and how you visually storytell that changes quite a bit. And so um, if you try to make the accountant video look like the brewery video, you're going you're gonna to fail for sure. Um, but I think the, 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 at the end of the day, the, the storytelling and the, the content is to be able to connect people and be able to solve their problems, right? And so... Um, if you're doing that for an accountant thing, people will enjoy your content because it's it's helping them, it's educating them, it's challenging them, and you know part of that storytelling could be also communicating like how friendly the accountants are and like how they're not just like nerds in a chair that they like care about you and then you can talk to them like a friend and like they're on your side and stuff like that, and that's where some of that other like storytelling can come into play. And then I think just the thing, the other thing to realize is like humor is like a universal storytelling win. Like, if you can be an accountant and you be funny, like, you've got it made. Like, if you can make accountant jokes and people actually get them and laugh at them, like, you can totally win online. Because at the end of the day, people just want to laugh. They're not necessarily entirely uh, picky about how. (laughs) So if you're a funny accountant, you're going to win, you know. Um, But if you're trying to be cool, like, you're probably going to fail. So it's, again, it's about that that intent and that thoughtfulness and just that self-awareness. Here's a question and um, sometimes an uncomfortable question, but I think there's a lot of, uh, I I think there's a a lot of knowledge that can be gleaned from it. How did you go about pricing what you do? Like, how do you go about pricing like your, like what you and your, and your agency does and your services, uh, especially when you were starting out and maybe didn't have a client? Because I think that's that's even um, more difficult for when people are starting out. They haven't gotten their first client. It's like, well, how do I price any of this? So pricing is so tough, and it is a total head game. Both like personally for the client, it, it's just it's a total head game. And the reason I say that is because because value is perception, or perception is value. One of which one, whatever way makes more sense is is how it is. Like so, for example, like. You know, if you go into a restaurant and they put something on your plate and it's arranged beautifully and it's got drizzles of whatever else, you know, and a little spritz of herbs and stuff like that, you're immediately going to be like, holy crap, like this is like a fancy dinner. Um, And then less to say uh, you find out that that dinner costs $5. Like how does that change your perception of uh, how that meal is going to taste, right? Um, it's going to change it quite a bit. Like all of a sudden now your expectations are like drive through McDonald's level, even though the presentation's amazing. 
uh, because it's $5. Now, if you were to walk into that same restaurant and it cost $100, you'd be like, holy crap, this is going to be the best whatever this is I've ever had in my life because the perception is is that dollar amount defines value on some level. Um, and so uh, I think that's important for people to realize is that like it it's a total like game with psychology when it comes to pricing. And so there's a certain level of it where like I would probably just reach out and talk to other people in the industry as far as uh, what the pricing should be at. So like we spent some time doing that of just like going on and like Googling stuff and talking to people and saying like how much should this cost, how much of that cost. And then um, – and I've, I've had to wrestle with this a little bit when I was in the wedding industry because that has a wide, wide, wide range of pricing um, for what is, for the most part, a fairly similar product experience, gear, cost, etc. And so the reality is, is, is you also have to realize, um, you know, what are my expenses in running my business and are the prices I'm going to charge literally going to make me any money at all? Um, or is, is everything going to get eaten up with business expenses? And so I think that's important too, to realize that like a person who has like a physical location and a couple employees just can't charge the same hourly they could charge when it was just themselves because now they have all this overhead. And so maybe it's scary for you to double your rates, but at the same time, doubling your rates may be the only way you ever have any sort of profit at all. Um, and so I think that's important. That's kind of goes back to like an individual basis of like realizing kind of where you are as far as your expenses and being able to, um, charge accordingly. And so there's like market rate, there's what you actually need to charge to make money. And then I think the third part of that is like the psychology of, um, can you control people's perceptions enough that you can actually charge a lot more than normal and, and have them be just as happy if not more happy with what you're giving them. Right. And so, um, I think we've all been in situations where like we were convinced to pay more than we probably needed to, but, um, because of how we felt about the situation and felt about the service and, and felt about the value that we got from it. Um, it changed how we felt about how much we spent on it. Right. Like, um, a Mercedes isn't like a phenomenally better vehicle than a Honda, but it costs a lot more because at the end of the day, like you feel cooler about driving a Mercedes than a Honda or, or how a Volkswagen owns Audi. And so like, know, the, right? the A4 and the, and the Jetta have like, I think I was reading, they had like the same body kit. Don't so even get me like, started on an Audi, bro. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> how much, but I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, well then how much different are they? Like, what is really the justification here? And I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. per, yeah, it's perception of value and it's the branding and it's the storytelling and it's the, the, the yep. image that evokes in your, in your brain. Um, oh, and let's be honest. Audis do look sexier. Like for sure. Yeah. 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 Even with all the same parts, like an Audi eight, I think it's the eight, like the, the like a little bit longer one, or maybe it's a five. I think it's the eight. Yeah, or no, sorry, the A7. I love the A7. I think it looks so sexy, especially with like a little like wing on the rear. Oh, dude, I think they look so good. There's not a VW that looks that good. But at the end of the day, like it's going to cost the same at a repair shop. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that, that question of, of value and branding, man. Um, so, for example, like one place that you absolutely have to listen to, and the funny thing is his name's future as well, but not the artists. Um, actually, I don't know his name specifically, but his, his company is called, I think futures, like F. Oh, the, the future F U T U R. I know you're yes. talking about. Yes. He is an incredible research that anyone who wants to know about pricing needs to go listen to like his psychology on it is incredible. Um, and 
really good at explaining the psychology of how to present your work in a way that makes sense and, and gets past objections. His content is absurdly amazing when it comes to pricing. And I, I highly suggest that for anyone who wants to wrestle with it. I listen to him. I still wrestle with it. But um, he has broken through a lot of mental barriers that I have on pricing and money and, and what can be made on it that um, once I begin to internalize even more is going to be super helpful. And and it's something the artists, like, you know, for any of the creative artists that are listening to this podcast, like, you got to work through that because at the end of the day, like, you know, people are called starving artists for a reason. And it's not because they can't charge more money. It's because they don't. And they don't because they either have a, a poor idea of, of how much they're worth or they don't know how to position themselves better or what have you. And he works through that stuff. And it's 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 so good. I can't even handle it. Speaking of internalizing things, um, have you ever had, and it doesn't seem like it, but have you ever had the issue of having to balance like, because I've noticed this even with your agency too, and I'm guessing all agencies have to do this, like you're balancing the creative and the artistic with the technical, the logistical, have you ever had an issue balancing those two or has that always been like second nature to you? And cause there, I, I've even noticed some creatives and some artists that can do both. Some just lean so much towards the creative side that they, mm. they can't do the other side. And then there are other more technical people that do have a creative streak, but not enough where they can go full on creative. Have you ever had an issue balancing those, those two sides did you start heavier on one side and then learn more about the other and balance out? And um, yeah, so like, like has, has that ever been a struggle for you? Well, I mean, it comes, I think balancing those comes naturally to me, but that doesn't mean it's not ever a struggle. Um, especially depending on like what kind of headspace I'm in. Um, and so I don't know. I just, for me, I just, I feel like there's, there's so much creativity in all of the parts of it. Like, to me, it's creative to be able to sit down and try to figure out like, um, you know, the, the path that a customer goes through in your, your marketing funnel. Like that's super creative to me. I know it's technical. Um, but I, I view that as very creative. Uh, there's a lot of things that people don't view as creative that I find very creative. And it's because at the end of the day, like if you're trying to, if you're quantifying information, based on like a mixture of like gut reactions, good guessing and real information, that's creative. Um, you're, you know, you're creating something from nothing. Like there, you didn't have a process and now you do. Like creativity gave you that process because you manifested something from nothing into something. And so I, I, for me, I just like, even the technical stuff, I just view so much of it as creative that I don't necessarily like like view it as one or the other, I guess. Um, you know, I guess you could say that like, you know, like lighting a set would be, you know, creative, but at the end of the day, you're still like measuring light. You're still making sure like the color temperatures are correct. You're still like, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's like, I think that's technical too. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, there's not all, I guess there's not a whole lot I do just by like pure like numbers. So I don't know, I guess it's just, I, yeah, like I said, it comes naturally to me, but you know, it doesn't mean it's not hard. Would there be any advice you would give to anybody out there who maybe they're really strong in certain creative aspects, but not stronger in certain logistical or business aspects? Like, 
do you have any advice you would give them or maybe should they should they look to work with somebody or hire somebody to do those things that you know they maybe are self-aware like hey i'm i'm not like i'm not good at the books i'm not good at x y and z oh yeah i would 100 percent hire someone out or partner with someone um i don't like like i said you know back to the control conversation i don't like giving up control so i don't know if i'd ever want to like like do a 50 50 split kind of partnership with someone um, unless I literally thought I could not make it on my own or having an employee do it. Um, but like for me, uh, like sales is hundred percent that for me. Um, like I, I don't love it. I, I wouldn't say I'm particularly great at it. Um, I have a, f- a hard time forcing myself to spend enough time on it. Um, and it's the reason I'm at, um, where I'm at in my business. Like I'm not exactly like where I'd like to be. Um, I'd like to continue to grow it. I'd love to have like 10 employees and blah, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, like I know that it may take someone else being a part of that sales process to get me there. Um, and that's a, a bullet I'm going to have to bite at some point. Um, and so I don't foresee myself becoming the person I need to be to do that. But I, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that maybe I could be. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, like, you know, if I guess you know, it goes back to your goals. Like, if you're if you're looking to be a one man show, then you should probably just like outsource some of the things that you find difficult to do to someone else, and you know, find the best deal you can, getting like the best quality work that you can off of you know, Odesk or Fiverr or whatever it is that you need to go to get the work done. Um, or um, if it's something that's super critical, then I would, yeah, consider like hiring someone or bringing someone on or partnering or something like that. Because at the end of the day, you just have to be, you have to be honest with yourself about whether or not you are going to become the person that can succeed at that thing that you're struggling with. And if you're not, or you don't have the time to do it, then you, you, have, to, you have to give it to someone else to do. Like what other choice do you have? Um, and so, yeah, so if like you're an artist and you're heavy on the technical side and you need someone artistic to come in, sorry, I guess you wouldn't be an artist then, but if you're a business owner and you're highly technical, you absolutely need to bring in someone artistic. Um, and if you're artistic and you can't sell anything, then you hundred percent need to bring in a salesman because at the end of the day, like, what is it? It's in, what do they say? It's insanity to like keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Yeah. Yep, that's the definition so, of insanity. Yep, and so yeah, so you know you're insane if you think that like you've been you know trying to sell a painting for five years and you never once sold one. It's insane to think that that's going to change from your five years from now. So speaking of insane and, and things that drive people crazy, what <laughs> what are uh, I thought it was a good set a good segue to this question. There are go. there what drives you crazy in the sense of perceptions about the industry that you're in like what do you wish the public knew or maybe people outside of your industry knew about your industry and what you do or like what do you think the public gets wrong sometimes like what drives you nuts in that sense from like a perception thing i don't know if we really have anything to be honest like i I just don't spend a lot of time worrying about that okay um and then my other question is what do you think the future of your industry is going to look like because you were talking about before how there's been some creative agencies where they say they're full service and they're not. Um, and, you know, certain companies may go to an agency, certain companies will try to do it in-house. You have certain people who run a business, maybe they're just more creative and inclined to maybe certain platforms. Where do you think the future is going for your industry? The, um, you know, will there be 
could there be like agencies that only specialize in certain things like hey like we're a creative agency but we only do tiktok but we do like the best tiktok content ever like do you think yeah. it'll get super granular do you, or do you think it'll be more full service do you think companies will bring it back um you know at least larger companies or businesses try to bring it back in-house where do you think it's going that might be the hardest question today <laughs> just kidding save the best um, for last right i know right Boy, you know, it's so funny because I can see why each one of those would be a really great direction to go because I could totally see businesses trying to cut costs and thereby hiring agencies instead, in which case they would need to be full service. But uh, I, I think for me, the one wild card uh, the, that really challenges a lot of the way things are done right now is artificial intelligence. And so... Um, like I've, I don't know if you have, but I've seen like multiple ads for companies where like artificial intelligence has, um, written copy for stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I've seen song lyrics get generated. Mm-hmm. I think Google had one where they, it generated an actual song, like an actual song you could listen to. And it sounded like a beach boy song. And I was like, what is wild. this? Exactly. Um, there's AI. I mean, obviously, uh, I, AI has been the, the main engine for, all social media advertising. So it's, it's just, it'll be interesting to see like how far that can go, which I'm guessing is pretty stinking far. Um, at the end of the day, the thing that I feel like can never be AI'd, if, you know, to completely make up a term, is um, creative decision-making. Um, like someone still had to tell that AI what the song should sound like, or I'm assuming... Um, or like what creative direction it should go in and then and then spit something out accordingly. It's still based on algorithms and numbers. I'm not sure what level of discernment there is um, when it comes to AI stuff. And so um, like even for example, like there was a company that I was doing a demo for and they did AI for creating micro content. So like you could put in a video and then based on, like specific words and tracking like the closed captioning on the video, it could like chop it up into what it viewed as a uh, concise piece of content that you could then go through and adjust. You know, it's kind of like the, the collapse of the middle class, but in like work, but like there's still someone who's going to have to like plug things in and upload things and like send emails and stuff like that. But like some of the creative work is going to be outsourced to a computer um, but at the same time, there's still someone at the top who's like making the coordination and has the relationship and is actually, sh- you know, calling the shots of where the creative direction needs to go. Um, it's just doing some of the work is going to change. And so it is just be interesting to see like how that affects things. If people are okay with that, do they like it? Is it good enough? Is it way better? Um, but I still think that people still still be people on the bottom and still people at the top is, you know, if you will. And so it'll be interesting. So I don't know. I think it'll probably end up making smaller agencies, I guess, is the answer to your question. I think the agencies will get smaller because more of the like the doing of the work will be done by artificial intelligence. And so at that point, like managing the relationships between the agency and the company will not be able to be outsourced because uh, an AI computer cannot do that. Um, but uh, at least not now. <laughs> Scary thought. Um, but yeah, so I think the agencies will get smaller. I'm not sure if they'll get more boutique uh, because at the end of the day, if you can just hire out an artificial intelligence to do each part of your business, then I guess you're really only limited by how much artificial intelligence you can buy. 
what advice would you give uh, to to Stephen the, the Stephen Burkhart uh, in the past before before uh, before they, they they started the uh, the agency? What what advice would you give? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because um, uh, everything's more work than you think it's going to be. Um, or or if it makes it easier, what would you tell somebody who's maybe looking to, to do what you what you do, but they're starting out now and they're young, they're just like out of either college age or they're just out of school? I think I w- what I would have told myself and what I'll tell probably anyone else is just um, focus on building relationships uh, because those take time to mature. They may take, they take time to happen um, organically and, and otherwise. And so I think that's probably what I would taught myself like a while ago. Like I would be in a much stronger position in my agency if I knew like a hundred more people. Uh, if I knew even like 20 people of like the right people better, I would be in a better position than I'm in now. And so um you know, and, and you know, let's be honest. Like succeeding in life <laughs> is largely dependent on who you know, and so it's not like if you change what kind of business you're doing or change, you know, industries or something like that. That like those relationships are going to be totally worthless if you end up deciding to change your mind. Um, relationships are still important, and somebody always knows somebody else. And let's be honest. You know, having someone in your corner that like cares about you and wants to see you succeed is just never a bad thing. Um, and so, yeah, so just focusing on relationship building would be what I would tell myself and what I would tell anyone getting into it. Is It's 100% about relationships. You cannot Facebook ad your way out of it. Well, I think with that, I think that that's a, a good way uh, to, to wrap this up. So we're at the end, and what I do at the end, as always, I let you, know, you as the guest say whatever you want to say, um, you know, any advice you want to give, anything you want to promote, anything you want to say at this point, uh, the floor is yours. That's how we're going to wrap it up today. So the floor is yours, man. Go for it. Whatever you want. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have anything specifically I want to tell everyone, but just uh, thank you for having me on your show. It's uh, You're probably, I think you're the second uh, podcast that I've been on uh, outside of my own. And so that's been super exciting and fun. And it's nice to be able to have someone else hold the reins and and uh, take this down an interesting pathway. So thank you for having me on here. Thank you for letting me share and um, and chat with you. So that was it's super fun. And uh, I'm I'm a little shocked on how long we've been talking because it doesn't feel that long. Um, which is probably why you asked me ahead of time because I'm like I can't believe it's like an hour past what we what I was thinking would be. Yeah, that's why I asked that because everybody's <laughs> everybody like like a lot of people not everyone but a lot of people I talk to they'll be like I don't have much interesting things to say and then all of a sudden I'll be like. They're like, oh, how long was it? I'm like, we talked for two and a half hours. And I know, like, right? What? Crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, like it goes, man. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, so to uh, as far as where people can find me, um, my agency is BurkhartCreativeAgency.com, uh, B-U-R-K-H-A-R-T, CreativeAgency.com. And so that's where I have like some of that more specific information about like what I do and what you can hire me for. Um, and that's actually in the process of getting updated currently because uh, I ended up switching from Squarespace to WordPress. So, like, I'm going through and trying to find things that are broken <laughs> and fix them and get all that uh, on the up and up. But that's where you can find agency-specific stuff. And then I also have a personal branding webpage that I just launched that um, uh, you can find a lot of information on as well. Um, 
it's stephenburkhart.com and I'll have a lot of content like on you know, leadership and um, innovation and marketing uh, on there as well. And then, um, yeah, so that'll be great resources for anyone, whether you're you know a, a marketing director or manager in a company. Uh, there's plenty of information um, for you on there, as well as if you're a small business owner and you're looking to um, just maximize your time. Um, definitely check out some of those resources. We got like lots of blog articles on how to do content marketing and how to shoot video from your house, from your phone, and all kinds of good stuff on there. So check it out. Well, Steven, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. And thank you. Thank you for being willing to come on. And thank you for having this conversation with me. And um, also, you know, sharing your experiences and your information. I think it's going to help out a lot of people. So Steven, thanks again. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. And that's it for this episode of the Creative Capital Show. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks goes to this episode's guest, Stephen Burkhardt. The Creative Capital Show is hosted, recorded, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Jason Sylvia. You can listen to the Creative Capital Show over at our website, creativecapitalshow.com. We're also available on Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. If you like the show, please subscribe. Helps the show out a lot. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep on creating.